O-P. It's Amy from New Jersey. Twitter, ALK2001. Been listening to you since NEW. Love the real OP that's coming out. The best episode was when you were talking about after your dad passed. All the signs you saw that was moving. Love the Cuban and Joey. <laughs> Joey. Joey haters suck. Joey's the best. Wrap it up, Joey. Okay, Amy. Wrap it up. Thank you. EB Guitar Man, hit it. It's time for the OP Radio Podcast, live from Times Square in New York City. <laughs> that was great. Isn't that a wonderful that really way to start good. a podcast? That's perfect. But Carl goes, oh, we're not live. Well, we're t- not live. Well, you are. We're both, you and I are sitting here together. Uh, we're live. Thank you, at this McKinley. moment. We are live at this moment together I, in I, this room. I like how you think, man. Sure. I haven't seen you in like three or four weeks, and everyone's like, when are you going to get Vic Henley back on the goddamn podcast? <laughs> I'm like, relax. I, I, he's a big star these days. No. He's, he's traveling around with Ron White and Kathleen Madigan. And, and I had my own gigs thrown in there, too. So it was like three-way comedy right. in, in, in the best sense. That's So that's good news for you. Oh, certainly. I've been swamped. But every time you called to ask me to do something, it was the old, it's like, uh, it's like coordinating a comedy show. And you know, we're trying to coordinate a radio show. Yeah. Everybody's traveling at different times, and it's hard to get everybody on the same page for one specific day. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean anything's going on. I like, I, again, I always like reading the ugly people on, <laughs> on the internet. We, What's up, good No, no. He asked me for Wednesday. I was available Thursday. He wasn't available Thursday. Carl was available Tuesday. Sherrod wasn't available Tuesday. It's goddamn math. Right. <laughs> you know. Looks like Vin. Uh, looks like Vic Kenley is sick of OP2. Yeah, right. Oh, shut up. Well, you know. I was just trying to get everyone together because I want to do one of those big Gebhardt shows. Oh, those are always a blast. Yeah, we're going to do one very, very soon. Me, you, Sherrod, and Get people and to Carl. come. You know, I liked it where somebody, this is where, again, online did work. Yeah. I enjoyed where someone came from out of town just for the New York weekend, and they went there first just because they had heard the show so much. It's kind of cool, right? I thought that was sweet. Yeah, yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, the, the guy was uh, doing all the hot spots for the OP Radio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's its own tour now. On, on the double-decker bus, yeah. we've actually worked our way onto the card now. You can actually go around to all the places we enjoy. It, isn't that wonderful? It's nothing but me and you and Carl and uh, and Sherrod's recommendations. Yeah. What do you what do you think of the lounge we set up here? It's a little I, small, but I like it. It's fine. I'm trying to figure out who that is in that poster. Oh, you don't know who that is? I, Come I don't, on, have, I don't have my readers on. And so, Come on. And, and it's, That's I, a replacement poster, by the way, because we had North Dakota. North Dakota State. North Dakota State. Do you know anything about North Dakota Hell State? Hell yeah, they beat my Jacksonville State Gamecocks for the national championship a couple years back. Yes, that they, was. A... They've won five championships in a row. Carson Wentz played there. The Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl quarterback. Well, not Super Bowl, Foles was. But yeah, yeah. The quarterback. Oh, yeah, they're a beast in, in 1AA. What used to be 1AA. Yeah. Now they call it the FBS. But if you're but a 1AA, who gives a fuck, right? Those people do, by God. Well, you I know, understand they you know, care in North Dakota, but I, no one else gives a fuck. Well, they, when was the last time you saw a 1AA uh, college football game on ESPN? Uh, every year. Every, oh. <laughs> every year they they are all the playoff games. You might not get a lot of regular season, but I bet you do. I bet you could find it. But the, 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 all the division playoffs, that's the favorite in, at the end of the year there yeah. when you're waiting for the bowl games to start. Yeah. When all the other conferences and the big boys said, we can't have a playoff with more than four teams. No, the other divisions have been doing it with 16 teams 
for decades. Okay. And it's amazing, and it's really fun to watch. They do it in basketball and in football. Before the big tournaments, before the bowl games, and before the March Madness, there's about two or three weeks of, uh, oh, my God, it's Upper Midlothian Campus B against uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sub-Saharan... Community college. <laughs> of course you know the answer to that. Well, well, we weren't impressed with North Dakota State, so we broke the poster. Okay. We're already you up didn't. to our old fucking tricks here. You don't, you don't like one. the bison. Well, we didn't like it, um, so we kind of broke the poster. And then that, believe it or not, is David Lee Roth. Is it really? <laughs> yes, that's I would David Lee Roth. never get, my goodness. He's, uh, I don't know what he's dressed up as. I, I, I can't really figure out what he's dressed up as. It, it looks like a sheriff's badge on the captain's hat. It's a cap, or, or some sort of police hat. Or I a, think it's a captain's hat, like he wants to, uh, I don't know, be in charge <laughs> of a cruise ship. Yes. And then he's got a sheriff's star in the middle right of that. Right in the middle of it. And then he's got some weird, really tight, white leather jacket that I think Freddie Mercury would have wore. I agree. That's right? Well said, yes. Thank you. Absolutely. No, no, I'm enjoying your summation so far. Oh, very good. So so now we got a David Lee Roth poster in the studio. I wouldn't have guessed that in a minute. He's a little too jolly for Diamond Dave. Yeah. A little jolly. (laughs) Diamond Dave's gotten a little jolly on us. I don't even know what year that's from, but uh, yeah, this is our lounge, and uh, we're going to start sprucing it up, but... It's a good hang. Uh, Mike Sappho's back. Last time I saw Mike Sappho, we were sitting here. It was me, Mike Sappho. Are you... <laughs> Why the lady cough? You saw the lady cough, it was right, almost like It was almost like a uh, demure Japanese woman walked in the room. It was very... <laughs> Geisha-like. <laughs> it was very geisha-like. Thank you, Mike. Uh, oh, so why did you do that? Because I, I, I didn't want to cough in the mic. I get a lot of shit for every sound. Oh, wait till I... I didn't just say hi to you on the podcast. <laughs> Because I'm I'm gonna come I'm gonna bring up something in about a minute or two. So last time I was uh, I saw Mike before he went to China and uh, Hong Kong, and Cambodia, Cambodia. He 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 did one hell of a trip. It was me, him, and uh, Gary Busey and his wife in this little lounge. Oh, that's great. And uh, Gary Busey pretty much beat the shit out of me, uh, Vic Henley, during no, the interview. He no. just kept punching me physically. I, I, I feel just it. getting excited and kind of yes, you. yes, punch, poking and Look, not fist hitting you. No, there are a few fists. <laughs> Just because he, he was having so much fun. like I, I was able to handle it. Like punching you in the arm and stuff. Uh, punching me in the arm. I'm sure out of pure joy is what you're saying. I believe so, but... Well, you don't have to hit me just because no, we that, agree that was, on something. Hey, you know, with that motorcycle accident, you're not really sure. You know you're looking at a wild beast. Of course. And, and if this wild beast hasn't been fed, guess what? You're going to be its, its food, if you know what I'm saying. He's wow. that type of person. He slammed the door once because there was noise coming from the um, the hallway. Uh, he t- picked up a water bottle and dramatically, like, hocked up a loogie that filled up half the bottle, it seemed. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was an empty bottle. Yeah. And he picked it up and just went. Oh, as bad forever. as you can make and it. And then loogied inside the yeah. water bottle. He wanted to give me a headbutt. I, I said no to the headbutt. <laughs> But he punched me in the sternum. He punched me in the arm three or four times. He gave me a Charlie horse. Uh, oh, I hate the Charlie horse. Oh, oh, I hate the Charlie horse. I'm like, I'm too old for this. How no old are we? 
And then in the hallway, I'm like, let's hug. And the hug was dramatic and oh, intense. Oh, my God. But he fixed my uh, my back, which was <laughs> nice. Sure, of course. Yeah. He's part shaman. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. But we had a hell of a time. And that, that, oh, that episode uh, oh my God. has done very, very well. But it was very exhausting, Victor. No kidding, I bet. Because he, he's got a bit of that ADD. And then he starts telling the same story he told five minutes prior. And then he goes, oh, that's right. I told that story already. And you got to keep him on track. But if you interrupt him, that's a whole nother thing, right? Is, is that pretty much what your, your, so, Vic, your I, thoughts on this is? I, I, I told Robert afterwards, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm not security at all, but I always know if something goes down, I got to jump in for Ope's back. Sure. And You're I supposed said, to be trained in some of these in areas. In 16 years for the police department, it was one maybe the handful of times that I knew I had no chance. Like, oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Vic, real talk. I was sitting here like, That's oh, shit. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah. I can't do. I'll jump on his back. There was nothing I can do. To <laughs> That's stop it, him. though. You can. You. I will try, but I will not Dick, win. I had to pee so bad. I was sitting in the corner. I stand up to try to walk by. He's like, "What are you doing? Sit down." I yeah. couldn't pee. He's got to pee. Do you give him permission you have to, pee to, too? to go pee? Yeah. I do too. Can we God, have a you pee guys, break? You guys need to take care of your urination business yeah, before man, they... Me and Gary are good. Yeah, he wouldn't let him pee. <laughs> so, and he was on my uh, my phone uh, oh. videotaping the whole thing. Oh, God. So, and that's what I want to get at. So after Gary Busey, I got, I, I got pretty, uh, pretty fucking sick with a very heavy cold. Okay. I'm finally at the end of it. I think we did that episode about 10 or 12 days ago, right? And uh, I'm wondering how I got sick. He knocked a lot of phlegm loose. He just kept <laughs> Probably, hitting you. Right. He kept punching right. you. Whatever was in your lung, whatever right. in your lymph nodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he just beat all the nastiness out of yeah, exactly. you and got all the viruses flowing around in your exactly. system again. That's or, what he did. Or he thought it was the loogie in the bottle. Oh, good. Okay, right. I, I'm thinking this motherfucker gave me uh, gave me a nice, nice heavy cold. Sure. So I'm, uh, I got a lot of downtime, so I'm at my house, and I'm now looking at the video of the big uh, Gary Busey podcast because I want to put a few clips up on some things right okay and i'm uh not feeling well whatsoever i got my blankie and and my right. wife's taking care of me and i'm like at least maybe i can look at this video and maybe cut up some clips that's when i realized that this motherfucker well, got me sick well, oh it's him yes all along. and i'll tell you why it's not gary Busey. because we filmed the fucking guy for over an hour mm -hmm. and through the whole thing you could hear this <laughs> oh <laughs> So when you went to edit, you discovered the real culprit. Over a hundred sniffs. Over a hundred. I, I got a cold, but I, I I don't think anyone will get this cold. Over and over again. And just when you, you, I'm like, I don't think he's gonna sniff for. Oh great. Oh, well there you go. And he's right on my uh, my, oh. my phone. So we Are you had, happy. We got yeah, a very professional. It's making, it's making him very happy. We got a very professional, uh, you know, um, thing going on here. I guess I don't know. High end, man. It's yeah. really nice. I well, can't believe it. Now, are you willing to admit that you were you had a, a bit of a cold for the Gary Busey podcast? And allergies. Oh, you're calling it allergies. They're, they're oh, not supposed yeah, to be contagious. Yeah. They're yep. not supposed yeah, to be yeah, contagious. Okay. All right. It could be either way. You could have had two typhoid Marys in here and True. not known it. You and, then, know? and then he took off for Cambodia, Hong Kong, China. You were on the Great Wall. That was the coolest thing. It was one of my bucket list things to do. I am so jealous. But how boring is it after you've seen it for about a minute or two? Yeah, we, uh, we went Because there's nowhere to really go. No, we got there. No, <laughs> but here's the thing. No, you know what I mean. You can walk on the thing for, yeah, what, it. a thousand miles oh, or something? There's gaps, yeah, but yeah, it goes but, all the way. But there's really, after no. a while, you're yes. like, okay, what else? They can take you to a section and you walk along that section for a bit and then that's yeah and that's, that's what we it. did like you go there you're in awe you're like oh shit it's the great wall 
you walk like you know down a little bit after 10 minutes i'm like you took the cool pictures and it's like all right, let's wrap it up. Like it's right. no, but really, you, you know, hate to be that way but, when you travel. But no, yeah. but that's the truth. And you know, afterwards, we actually did a we took a toboggan down the whole thing, which was really cool. I, I saw the video. That, that was really that cool. Your girl posted. That. Yeah, but after ten minutes, it's like that, all right. That toboggan looked like it what was you mean? Like ready to go. Sled? Like oh, the yeah. small kid sled with the curl. It, it up was. Front? It looked like a metal track. Yeah, it was a metal track. I'll show you a picture. It's of on it, a Vic. track. Metal track. Vic, no, no helmets. Fucking way would I do this? If this thing looked like oh, nice. One wrong move and you're flying over the edge. Oh well, into that's a, cool. Into obscurity. You need a little death in your vacation. Yeah, there you go. No Why instructions. Not? You just sit down and go. Yeah, that's that's the, it. They that's don't a, tell you anything. They just hand you the thing. They just you sit down on a little shed. It's like up down, and they, and they push you and you go. It's like that's it. Fifteen minutes down the Great Wall. How much does that cost? No, like ten bucks. <laughs> You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. And then uh, Julie, uh, Julia was getting shit for the raincoat thing. All right, so Vic, I got to explain this yeah. to Vic because Vic hasn't been around in a while. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to uh, catch fine. up with Vic. I love being updated. All right, go ahead, tell him. I've been out in America. So, well, I'll say this: in the middle of our podcast, he decides to admit that his uh, his girl likes to get peed on. No, like a lot. Oh, like a, like a, like frequently or a lot of pee. Which like, one do you mean? You said a how lot. How about how about uh, his wood floor is pretty much warped. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, what kind of cat you got in here? My good lord, you got a mountain lion for a pet? Jesus, <laughs> he's got a lot of lumps in his wood floor. Take the, take the links outside. <laughs> how much? Train the Great Dane. Good God! But I didn't. Was, why would we need to know this? Well, I wasn't even pushing him out of nowhere. He decides to admit this. And I, I don't think his there. girl was happy about it. Special occasions or just all the time? No, spe- not special occasions. Sometimes <laughs> if we have a few drinks, like a, a oh, water and stuff, God. we'll hang out and she'll oh. be into it. She'll be yeah. like, oh, I have to pee. Like, we do it on each other. No. But what happened was... Why? She, uh, I forget... Because it's warm? But no, I forget... <laughs> no, Vic, I forget the audience size because Opie releases that episode... Two days later, she wanted to meet Mike Francesa, the radio guy. So she meets him. She tweets it. And all of a sudden, she's like, who are these dudes? I'm like, oh, they're probably hitting on you. And then she's like, no, because she didn't listen to the episode yet. And it's like, hope Mike doesn't know that you guys pee on each other. Are you wet? So she's like, are you kidding me? What would you say on the radio? (laughs) But then, now I'll tell you this. So now I'm like, it died out, Vic. It died out. Really? No, but. How does that die out? And then. It's it's online forever. (laughs) That shit don't die out. (laughs) Maybe maybe you get a little break. You get a reprieve. A a little lull in the action. Oh, there was a lull. We land in Hong Kong, Vic. Oh, there was a lull. (laughs) I hand her my phone. She puts a SIM card in for me. And she's giggling. I'm like, oh, what's the matter? She goes, oh, you stole Carl's raincoat. I'm like, yeah, I actually did. She goes, oh, he tweeted about it. And then Ope makes a comment. Like, oh, I wonder what he's using that raincoat for. And then she read the 28 <laughs> notifications about, oh, they're probably peeing on each other. And she's like, are you kidding me? Oh, she was not happy. Well, yeah. You were going to... You were going to places where that sort of behavior is a national holiday. Yeah, it was really? no big deal there. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know if it was more. Gonna... That'd be a good question to find out. Are, are certain countries more into the golden showers than others? That would be a wonderful thing to get into. <laughs> I told you the golden shower story, didn't I? About no. The, it's because it's, it's uh, Stan Hope. Yeah. Stan, it's, it's nothing much, really. But um, I was with my friend Dave Fulton, and we were in London. Yeah. And uh, we walked by a post office, and Fulton goes, oh, I was hoping we'd see a post office. And I got to send Stan Hope something. And he, we, I get in line with him, and he gets out these deck of cards, and he hands them to me. He goes, you've seen these. And it looks like those naked lady playing cards from the 70s, you know, where you just kind of see, like, half a boob, yeah. maybe a butt shot. It's yeah. nothing, you know, that, that stylistic from, like, 72, sure. right? And I go, oh, it's naked. I go, what, Stanhope Collect, vintage naked lady playing cards or something? And Fulton goes, no, you're not looking close enough. 
and he hands me back the deck, and I start fanning through them, and they are in that style, but every one of them, somebody's peeing on somebody. <laughs> they are 1970s vintage golden shower naked lady playing cards. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm, I'm screaming in the post office, and all these British people are like, where are you? They're all looking at us, and, and so they go, what are y'all laughing at? And Dave goes, this, and just hands them the deck of cards, and these prim and purple, oh, all those not prepared to see. Oh, you know, and yeah. I didn't see Stan for, it took about six months, and I ran into him on the road somewhere. Yeah. And he'd forgotten all about it. And Dave never told him he was with me. They just came in the mail one day. Right. And so I see him in the airport, and we were going to the gig together. And I walked up to him at the bar, and I'm like, how about those golden shower naked lady playing? He's like, Dave Fulton! <laughs> He's a great man! He's a fine human being! <laughs> so, anyway. That's wonderful. It was never... <laughs> Damien's here already? Yeah, it's 12.30. Oh, fuck. Still a little bit. Uh, all right. Uh, we're, no, we're, we're going to be talking to Damian Eccles today uh, from the West Memphis 3. Stall for a few minutes. I want to talk to Vic a little bit more, man. Okay. Uh, can you believe it's been 25 years since that whole thing went down back in 1993? I, my getting on the subway, playing my autistic, mental, crazy game I do in my head, you yeah. know, I was like, let me not look at my phone and see if I can guess, because I knew you would know. Oh, oh I yeah. Guess, I guess 91 in my head, so I was off a couple of years, but I knew it had been ages and ages yep. and ages, and no, I can't believe it's been that 93, long. and then he was convicted in uh, 94, the death penalty. Yep. And uh, you fast forward a whole bunch of years, and he is free. I know. But uh, I, I, uh, I, I went back and watched all the documentaries again to kind of prepare for Damien Eccles. Certainly. I talked to him. I was one of the, we were one of the first interviews uh, when he first got out of jail. Oh, no kidding. That's cool. Yeah, because he, he did some press in New York, and uh, he stopped by uh, whatever version of the show that was at the time. <laughs> I'm not even sure. It might have still been me and Anthony. You're I, a shapeshifter. I, oh, my God. <laughs> You're such a shapeshifter. Yeah, but at SiriusXM. And uh, so then uh, to prepare for this, I, I watched all the documentaries again and did uh, all sorts of other research and watching YouTube videos and stuff and just got mad. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly. Just got mad yeah. and realized uh, why I had to put all this aside af yeah. after the fact because it'll drive you nuts oh, absolutely. about our, ju uh, our judicial system. I remember, yeah. It's got some problems. Well, the, the, uh, the Thin Blue Line was in 88, and I think it won the Oscar. And it's, it's just one guy that got railroaded in Dallas, and he's on death row. And it was the first one that I had ever seen. You yeah. Know? So I'm 25 or whatever, 26. And, yes, I was mad for two weeks. I'm just – it ruined my mood yeah. for several, several weeks. And then since then I have to know when to go in and out of these because, sadly, you're right, there are too many of these damn things. Oh, my God. There's too many where the idiots railroad a Brendan Dassey. Yeah. And they had their own Brendan Dassey. His name was Jesse Miss Kelly. Oh, my God. And I know he, they did. Right? Isn't he the version of – Sort of a that to say bless his heart. He's just uh, <laughs> in case people have, yeah, uh, he's one so. of the West Memphis Three. He's, yes, absolutely. Uh, Jesse Miss Kelly, and he was the one that confessed. Yes. <laughs> I want to ask Damien Eccles about right. that because he's a, he's a little slow, but he doesn't look like he's slow, which confuses a lot of people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's the Brendan Dassey and, thing. And then he, he confesses because he thinks that if he confesses, he gets to go home with yep. Pa, uh -huh. who uh, it turns out Pa's been beating the shit out oh. of this kid his entire yep. life. And then there's uh, reward money that they're hinting about. Yep. And then they finally get um, uh, a confession from this guy that was really shaped. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you really awful. want to go deep into the it's West Memphis awful. Three, there's so much amazing yes. material here. But this confession was shaped. And then the same kid uh, confessed another four or five times. Every confession was completely fucking yep. different. Yep. And they still convicted these guys. It's one of the worst ones ever. And the best part of the West Memphis Three is Jesse Miss Kelly, when he went to prison, 
for life. He's now out, obviously. All three are out. He put a clock on the top of his head. You know about the the, the clock tattoo on the top of his no, head? No, no, no. <laughs> I saw all three, but I, I saw all three documentaries, but it was so long ago. I've, I've really, seen, I, I'm sure that's featured in one of the documentaries. Yes, he, 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 so he shaves his head yes. and tattoos just the numbers of a clock around. Oh, no, it looks like a clock. <laughs> oh, they made a whole thing. I've, I, I've seen prison tats over the years, right? Well, this is the best one ever. Oh, it has to be. <laughs> because guess what? He goes... You notice it? You notice about this clock? And they're like, "No." He's like, "It has no hands." And uh, when I finally get out of here, I'm gonna put, put the hands, hands on it. <laughs> I'm gonna put the hands <laughs> on my clock tattoo that takes over the entire top of his I head. I love it. A giant big oh, circle clock. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I, so Damien Eccles must have looked at this kid like, "What the fuck <laughs> are you doing?" <laughs> You're not helping us. Yeah, he You're not helping it. us. Yeah, I know. And 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 uh, oh, Damien Eccles, uh, he was guilty of uh, wearing a lot of black. Doing a little of that, a little of that devil stuff. Yeah. But we all know kids growing up that did a little of that right. devil stuff. And then he's, he's guilty of liking Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth. Sure. And then uh, also in that list, U2. <laughs> that was part of the. That's the thing that pushed Damien, him over come the on edge. In, brother. That's what, it was the U two that pushed him over yeah. the edge. Yeah. Just, Holy oh, fuck! Jesus. You've changed your look since I've last seen you, brother. I can't even remember how long it's been. Uh, but how about when you first got out of jail? We were one of your first that's interviews because yes. you were in New York, uh, starting to do some press, and uh, and we were lucky enough to have you here. Grab that mic. So uh, that's Vic Henley, by the way, a really, hey, really man. funny to comment. Nice to meet you. My pleasure. And he's, uh, and he's a good friend of ours. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I was just slowly going through the whole thing with Vic Henley because he, he's, he's seen the whole uh, West Memphis I'm familiar three. with the whole thing. Yeah. And, and we were just Sadly. Going, <laughs> we were just going through some of the ridiculous stuff, like Jesse and his dumb confession. And, and what I was telling Vic just as I saw your face outside of the, uh, the lounge here, uh, how frustrated were you when the guy confesses to something that you know you didn't do? You know, more than frustrating, I think uh, what it is is terrifying horrifying you're caught up in a system that's so much bigger than you that you don't have a chance in hell of defending yourself against right. you know we were poor white kids from a trailer park just white trash basically right so i mean they could do anything they wanted to to us so you're caught up in something you don't understand we were teenagers at the time um you are in such a deep state of shock and trauma that you can barely even comprehend what's going on. You know, yeah. you were talking about, and speaking of shock and trauma, you know, you were talking about whenever I came in here the first time, I cannot remember the first two years I was out of prison. If, wow. if you put everything together wow, from those wow. first two years, Makes yeah. sense. I remember maybe a few hours of it. Just wow. because, you know, not only was I in there for 20 years, but the last 10 I was in there, I was in solitary confinement. So yeah. I, I literally went from solitary confinement for almost a decade to being on the streets of Manhattan overnight. Ooh. And it's psychologically yeah. devastating. You don't remember being in Peter Jackson's penthouse? I can remember little bits and pieces of it. He, Peter Jackson's the film like, director? Yeah, mm -hmm. he, he got cool friends out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's worth it. <laughs> that's totally worth it. I got to meet the Hobbit guy after being in solitary confinement for the last 10 years of my career. Oh, totally worth it. You're overmodulating. <laughs> Sorry. I want to ask him about that, though. No, because... Because when you know when something so horrific happens to you in your life, in a weird way, good things came out of it. So as much as I was joking, are you still married, Damien? I am. Yeah, okay, we've been so, married for 
since 1999. Well, 1999. Yeah. So that's uh, almost oh, 20 wow. years. You're, yeah, 19. You're pushing 19 years now. When's your anniversary? Let's uh, make her happy. Say December it. December the 3rd. There you go. See, yeah. All right. I've no. just moved the mic away. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to I do. I don't know. I think Joey's going to lose his mind, though, because you're overmodulating. But all right. No, good things come out of it. I mean, you're now friends with Eddie Vedder, uh, Johnny Depp. Peter Jackson and others, and he got a wife out of the thing. Oh, there you he, go. I mean, he there can't imagine his life without his wife, right? There you but go. he doesn't meet his wife if he doesn't go th through the horrific shit. There you go. You know what? There were a lot of really good things that came out of this. You know, even uh, the things that aren't, you know, you can't touch in a material way. You know, just intellectual things, emotional things. You know, I learned a lot of stuff going through this. I grew as a person because of this. People think that I had a you know, honestly, a horrific fucking life because I spent almost 20 years in prison. But to be honest, I don't really feel that way. You know, I look at people out here now, especially people in their 20s that don't know who they are and they're sort of flailing around trying to find their ways, you know, find their way through life. They don't seem to have any direction, any ambition, trying to figure out who they are. And I think, thank God I never had to go through that. Right. You know, I, I was going through something else that they probably wouldn't want to go to go through. But to me, it seems like their lives in a lot of ways were worse than mine. You know, I, I don't want to be long winded here, but I always tell, you know, I have people come up to me still on a daily basis telling me about horrible things they've been through or, you know, depression that they're going through, things of that nature. And, and they'll say, you know, what was it in there that kept you from going through that what what got you through this and i tell people honest to god i think what i learned was there are only two causes of depression despair and that's number one some sort of chemical imbalance and the only thing that's going to fix that is you know medication working out proper diet meditation like that. there you go the second thing in magic we have a concept called your will right and it's it equates to what in buddhism they call your dharma right it's like your path in life what you're put here for and we think of, like, the universe isn't going to waste energy making duplicates of the same person over and over. We're all here for a very specific pur purpose. It may overlap with other people's. It may, you know, be similar to other people's. But your purpose for being incarnated in this world is never going to be exactly the same as another person's. Until you figure out what your purpose is and are able to dedicate yourself to it wholeheartedly, you are never going to be completely happy. From a young age, I think maybe it, part of it was being locked in that prison and having so much time to, you know, meditate, contemplate, everything else. I discovered what it was that made me happy, and I was able to apply myself to it 100%. There, as crazy as it sounds to people out here, there were times whenever I would go for a week at a time and not even think about the fact that I was in prison. Right. You know, it kind of reminded me of a story I came across about Timothy Leary where he said— or somebody was saying that when he was in prison, you know, he did all those LSD experiments and the federal government locked him up. And his friends come to see him at one point and they say, you know, we've got this plan to, to break you out of here. And he says, no, you can't do that. I've got too much work to do. That's how I started to feel. Wow. By the time I got out, that's how I felt yeah. when I was in there. You, uh, wow, you jumped ahead, but that's okay. You're talking about <laughs> uh, your book, obviously, which is Black Magic, spelled M-A, uh, oh, High Magic. Magic. Oh, sorry, yes. sorry, geez, that's, uh, no that's way different. Uh, High Magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, which, uh, which is a philosophy that's based on 
uh, meditation, visualization, um, and, and some Buddhism and some other, but also I think some other religions are thrown in there as it's, well, right? Basically, it's the Western path to enlightenment. You know, most people, uh, you know, going back to one second, what you said, black magic, where that actually came from, that term, the black arts, black magic, things of that nature, uh, some of these practices go all the way back to ancient Egypt. Well, in Egypt, they didn't call their land Egypt. They called it Kemet. And Kemet means black. What they were referring to was like how fertile the, the soil was around the Nile. Right. So when you hear of the black arts, black magic, things of that nature, that wasn't corrupted uh, to mean something bad or have negative connotations until after the Catholic Church and the whole, you know, burning the Knights Templar at the stake, all that sort of stuff. Good old Catholicism. There you go. Good old Catholicism. <laughs> when in doubt, right. just wait for a law, they'll do something. Man, I'm not a fan of the organized religion. Oh, That's been a theme oh. on this podcast uh, oh. Already, I I, uh, yeah. I got uh, because of my wife into meditation, yoga, and, and a lot of that stuff. So, uh, but you did jump ahead, which is fine. But um, the magic got you through your 18 years in prison on death row. Exactly. Um, and you were in a cell that was not much bigger than what we're sitting in right now. It was nine tiny, by 12 feet. Nine by 12 feet. And uh, he talks about how uh, I mean, they sort of gave you an hour of daylight. Uh, uh, a sort of a, a well, day, but it really wasn't outside. It was exactly. just a bigger room with <laughs> yes. a window that it could do a pull up to see outside. Oh. Am I correct, sir? That, that's it. They move you from one cell into another cell. Um, and the only difference really in it and yours is like there's no toilet, no sink, things like that. And that's considered your outside time. I was in a... Uh, for almost the last decade that I was in there, I was in a super maximum security prison, and there's only a handful of those in the United States. Was this in Arkansas? No. It was. It was. Yeah. Okay. What's, yeah. what's the name of it? Uh, the Varner Super Maximum Security Unit <laughs> Prison. <laughs> do you, do you, do you Sound, s- sounds like a laboratory. Yeah. It does. The it kind of felt like a laboratory. The Varner. Yeah. <laughs> do you send them Christmas cards? Oh, no. <laughs> Johnny Cash is not going to be writing a song about uh, uh, the Varner. Uh, uh, no, they usually <laughs> just call it the Supermax for short. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did, All right. did you say, excuse me, sir, I'm supposed to be outside, outside <laughs> in our day? <laughs> excuse me. This is not outside, this outside. This is not outside, out. I'm black. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> No, but they could get away with it as long as I guess you could see outside or, or, or I have feel no the idea. fresh air. Yeah. That technically, you're getting your day outside. Exactly. <gasps> they can pretty much justify anything by saying security reasons. Right. You know, that's it's it's sort of like the TSA. That's all they have yeah. to invoke is say security reasons, and they can yeah. now, do anything they want. Now the thing about Damien Eccles, so he's uh, he's on death row basically, right? For 18 years, he knows he didn't do this shit. Yep. I have no doubt in my mind he didn't do this shit. There's still some people trying to get something going. It's like at this point, it's like shut the fuck <laughs> up. Pick something else. These guys got feed fucked. the starving children. <laughs> right. Do something else with. There's your a time. bigger story here. These guys got fucked, and and uh, according to stats, is like two percent of the prison population has uh, has been uh, wrongly convicted, right? That and and not only you know it's even a larger number for death row uh, people like the Southern Poverty Law Center, people who work on these you know cases for a living who have studied this stuff in debt have said that now maybe as many as one out of every 10 people who are executed may be innocent. Wow. And it's one of those things, you know, if, if one out of every 10 planes <sighs> crashed, we would demand that somebody fix the yeah, airlines. Yeah, of course. It's, but it's like well, nobody knows anybody uh, well, on death row. Hold that so. thought because we're going to go way back in time and, and show why this is why this is uh, what it is nowadays. But I, I want to finish up on the um, uh, your time in prison. I can't imagine that you said a week or two could go by and you forget you're in prison because... 
you know, just hearing about how horrific you had to live, and you knew you didn't do these crimes, but you're in prison for uh, the murder of three eight-year-olds. Yes. They ain't going to treat you nice. Nope. Everyone's going to give you a fucking shot to the rib whenever they can or give you a shove. Uh, I've read accounts where this this guy, Damien Eccles here, was bleeding uh, uh, piss and blood, right? Yeah. From, uh, from getting hit and abused uh, yeah. in prison. Yep. That but, was a lot of what pushed me, you know, doing these techniques was like the physical pain that I was experiencing. You know, in there, they're not going to spend a lot of time and money and energy taking care of somebody on death row because they're planning on killing you. Yeah. You know, so if you've got medical problems, if you've got dental problems, things like that, they're, you know, you're just screwed. Right. So I had to find something to help me deal with not only the psychological and emotional aspects of what were, was going on, but also just ways to handle the physical pain. Yeah. And, uh, oh, uh, makes did, sense. Oh, oh, did you ever try to convince them? Like, I didn't do this. Or did you just give up after a while? And go, oh, I just got to try to behave as much as I can so I don't get uh, honestly, abused too much. I think most of them don't care. They just you know, don't they, care. They didn't care whether you're innocent, well, guilty. They're just doing their job. You know, when they, like when you're talking about prison guards, they just show up to work that day. You yeah. know, even if you convince, if, if you make a prison guard believe, you know, without any doubt whatsoever, they come to the conclusion that you are 100% innocent. There's still nothing that they can do. You know, it's not like they're part of the system. You know, they don't have any sway with the court system or anything else. They're the equivalent of like the security guard that worked at Kmart. Yeah, okay. So, you know, it doesn't do any good to... But but at the same time, You're the worst Kmart ever. By yeah. The way. <laughs> 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 closing soon. I need a manager. I'm not <laughs> being treated <Hopefully>. properly. <laughs> right. Blue light special goes to yeah. a whole other meeting. But um, but by the end of your sentence, though, people were rooting for you, and they they really started believing. Finally, how many years in do you think that changed a little bit for oh you? Oh my God. Uh, I would say it's it was a very slow process. I would say it started. Started to change in '96. Uh, That's when the first HBO documentary came out. Right. But you know, back then the internet was r still just really barely starting to take hold, barely yeah. starting to come alive. So you know, it was still a long time. It, it was like a snowball effect, sort of. You know, first people see the HBO documentaries, then you know you have other TV shows all over the world start to cover it. You had you know newspaper articles and magazine stories, and people started writing books about it. You know, the next thing we know, they're holding uh, bake sales, and uh, people were doing benefit concerts to raise money. You know, people think that the system pays for things like DNA testing. Yeah, they don't. No, of course I had not. to pay for. All of the DNA testing done in my case, and that alone was a little over two hundred thousand dollars. Good God! Yes, we we were out there, you know, begging. Good God! Asking for donations, anything we could to cover this DNA testing. And, and the DNA testing is obviously what led to uh, them getting out of uh, prison, right. because there was no there was no physical evidence that that, that put them on the crime scene Ever. or the victims. Ever. Um, but uh, so ninety six, the documentary comes out. Yep. You have to wait. You. 2012 or 2011? Uh, 2011. 2011, he gets out. So 15 more years. <laughs> so you're seeing this HBO documentary going, well, it's, it's it. going to be a matter. Yeah, yep. we'll be out of here by Christmas. They have to wait another 15 years, Vic uh, Henley. I know that. I was That's insane. Yep. Furious. I just rewatched the documentaries uh, I was telling Vic before he got here, and I got mad all over again. I still haven't seen them. Oh, really? No, I have no desire to. There was a guy one time on death row. This is kind of how I feel about the documentaries. Yeah. They um, took him over to the death house, which is where they execute you. Yeah. Well, at the last minute, he got a stay of execution. They bring him back over to death row. And he says, yeah, when I was over there, my whole life flashed before my eyes. But I didn't watch it because it was a rerun. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was, you know, I understand, you know, why people liked them so much or, or were so appalled. And, and I think watching those things really was like being I made it through about 15 minutes of the first one. Right. And it felt like being in the courtroom again, which was why. I didn't yeah. watch the whole yeah, why thing. Why would you want to relive uh, that? Exactly. Well, there yeah. the first time. Um, yeah, before we go back there, so one other thing about the, the prison thing, uh, you described the mosquitoes? Yes. I mean, it's the little things in prison oh. that drive you insane that, you you know, you think it's going to be um, the crime you've been convicted of or, you know, the fact that you, you're locked away from your family, people that love you, but it's the little things on a daily basis that will drive you insane. Things like, you know, we're in the middle of rice fields out in the nowhere in, in Arkansas, so the mosquitoes sometimes, you know, you would see them covering the whole wall. So you're laying there at night trying to go to sleep and they're biting you on the eyelids, biting you on the lips. And you can't, you know, put anything over you because then you're so hot that you, you just sweat to death. So you just have to either, you know, lay there covered up with something and sweat or let them bite you. There are times when you're just so sleep deprived that it's, it's the stuff like that that drives you nuts. Why were they coming in? Beats the hell out of me. There's no. Did you have a window? You didn't have a window. No, here. they would. This was when we were before we went into the supermax. That was the one thing I guess I should be thankful for about the supermax is it locked the mosquitoes out. <laughs> and, he's always making lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> he's always just since he's walked in here, it's been nothing but lemons to lemonade. I really admire this man. Somebody said one time when life gives you lemons, well, that's just straight profit. So it's kind of, <laughs> that's good. But you were you were describing how the whole wall would be, would be pretty much black from mosquitoes. Yes. And That's, then if you slap them, you're going to see like blood smears all sure. over the walls, all over the place. So it's not the most hygienic. You know, you got to wonder who the hell's blood is that? I, you know, I mean, uh, there's plenty of things that would uh, drive me insane in your position. But I think that one would be pretty close to the top of the list. Just getting eaten alive every night by yeah. mosquitoes. And not only do they come in from outside, but a lot of the cells that nobody's in. You know, if you don't have somebody in a cell for a couple of months, mosquitoes come in and lay eggs in the toilet Jesus. because there's water in there. So then they're hatching out of the toilets in these empty cells and just breeding like crazy. And nobody's going to clean that. No. No. <laughs> and that, but that's just going to let it turn into a mosquito swamp. Yes. <laughs> but you turned to magic, M-A-G-I-C-K. Yes. Uh, your book, by the way, is called High Magic. Uh, and, you know, um, you were dabbling a little, obviously, before this, but then you're in there and you're like, man, this is how I'm going to cope. And then uh, I was reading up on you and it said something like uh, you would spend like eight hours. Yeah. By and, the time I got out, I was doing it up to eight hours a day. And what is that like meditating and visual? Yeah. A lot of it are, it's a combination of like Gnostic Christianity, esoteric Judaism, a lot of ancient Chinese Taoist energy circulation exercises, but it's all from a Western perspective. Um, you know, when I was in there, I also received ordination in the Rinzai Zen tradition of Japanese Buddhism. It was the same tradition that used to train the samurai in ancient Japan. Yeah. And and I would sit what they call zazen, the, the kind of meditation that they do, for you know hours a day for a couple of years, and I still did not get as much out of you know two to four years of Zen as I did from a few months of ceremonial magic. And I think it's because when we're learning something, um, especially for me, you know, just growing up, poor white kid in a trailer park in Arkansas. You can, know, I, can I stop you for a second? Sure. Not just a poor uh, trailer, by the way. You were being crop dusted. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You, that you was, hear this yeah, story? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. They didn't give a fuck. No. They're like, nope. this family's so poor, fuck them. <laughs> no, I know. We're crop dusting yeah. them because they're too close to the crops. <laughs> we would we would, uh, we would ride behind the mosquito fog and truck yes. on bicycles because yes. we thought it was cool. That's the height of entertainment when <laughs> yes. you're a kid in the South. He only had me here today because I'm Alabama. <laughs> That's the only reason. He wanted a twangy accent in the room with me. Uh, <laughs> you ever heard that joke? What, what is it? What's Why do people in Arkansas love people from Alabama so much? Because if not for them, we would be dead last in, in everything. everything right? yeah. <laughs> I did the I did this other joke the other day. I was with some people from Louisiana, and uh, and they're from North Louisiana. And I'm like, well, then you know the joke. And they're like, what? I go, what do you call Louisiana without New Orleans? And they're like, what? And I go, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a guy from Arkansas in a suit and tie? Uh, the defendant. Yes, I was going. I knew, oh, I knew yeah. it was a court term. I knew it was a court term. <laughs> Plaintiff. <laughs> so I guess I mean because we because I watched the documentaries. Now I want to go over some of these things again. So uh, you you obviously believed in the system back then. Oh yeah, you just know. because of how you were acting. You were you were exactly. You were kind of grandstanding a little bit. Like that's right, I'm the guy. Like you think, just you know, I was a teenager. I'm raised. The only you know information I have to go by about how the system works is what I've seen on you know fucking Perry Mason or something. By yeah, that yeah. Point. <laughs> so I'm still thinking, even up to the point that I'm sentenced to death, I'm thinking surely someone with an IQ of more than 15 is going to step in at any moment and fix this. Right. You know, surely someone is going to do something. Right. And part of you holds on to that, cannot let go of that, all the way up until the very end. Man, and and uh, they were looking at you a year before the murders happened, right? Yeah, um, it was a, a guy. The way this whole thing started, this it is was, insane. Oh, it's Arkansas. Yes. No, it's, it's, Look, there's a dude that looks like Robert <laughs> Smith. I don't know if you know who Robert Smith is, but we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. guilty because he was wearing black. And this guy That's decided it. that I forgot his name. He decided he, he's an expert on the Jerry on, Driver. On, yes, on the devil. Oh yes. God! And he was already looking at Damien a year oh. before because Damien like Megadeth yeah. and Metallica yes. and Slayer and, and you too? Yeah, you I'm too, sorry. You too's the wild card. <laughs> <laughs> That's what pushed you over the edge was, yep. the, was the Bono. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You too. <laughs> One of these things. And I do like my U2, so. And I like my, my Metallica. I like everybody you named. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I certainly do. But you were living that life. We all know guys like that. You were like kind of goth. You had you dyed your hair black. You wore black clothes and uh, and maybe some sort of like a Rob, Rob Zombie. Well, no, this was before Rob Zombie. Yeah. But those type of T-shirts. And uh, sure enough, everyone's looking at you like, this kid is up to something. It was, you know, I just did not fit in in this really small, hardcore, fundamentalist Bible Belt town. You know, anything, I, I, I swear, anything back then, I can remember, you know, like people from the church railing against yoga, like yoga books. They're saying that that's satanic. Uh, Buddhism is satanic. Hinduism is satanic. Now, these people don't know that they're being misled by the devil. But they are. It, yeah. it, you know, it's the devil disguising himself as the Buddha. So when you're talking about a mentality like that to begin with, and then you start talking about something like magic, um, that oh yeah, that oh, takes yeah. it into a whole new. Yeah, you got realm. a lot of Bible people down there on top. Yeah, so it's uh, he's not he's not only from the Bible Belt, he's from the buckle. There you go, <laughs> really of the Bible Belt. Oh, yeah. So that <laughs> yes. that explains uh, this a little further. Yeah. Obviously. 
So uh, you know the three eight year olds they get uh, they get murdered brutally. That's the one thing about the documentary I hate seeing is the is the photos of oh, the kids yeah. because I think you could visualize that without seeing it, but whatever. Um, and there was uh, simply no evidence that that puts you at the crime scene or or where you were in contact well, with the fucking victims. Keep in mind, after they come back with the DNA, they find that not only does the DNA not match me or the other two guys that they convicted, but it matches one of the victim's family members. Right. So even after we come up with that in court, the judge says, no, that's still not enough. Then three eyewitnesses come forth, three, who say they saw the person that the DNA matches with all three of the victims within an hour of the time they were murdered. They still say, doesn't matter, yeah. you had a fair trial. Not good enough. And that drives me nuts. Yeah. It's that damn judge. Yes, that's because, exactly what it is. Because was. these guys, they can't be wrong for their own careers. Yep. So they're like, oh, fuck, you know, all right, yeah, all right, we made a huge mistake here, but it's going to fuck me personally, so i got to yes. figure out how to yes. spin out of this and keep my uh, nice job and career it's going. It's okay to yes. run 37 other lives, but as long there as I'm go. okay, as long as I'm right. He was elected to the no, Senate. Yes. They're always running for something. Yep. And that's the only reason uh, Damien Eccles and, and the rest and the other two are out, because uh, you got a new judge on the fucking case. That was it. Because the old judge kept saying, ah, nope, 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 fair trial, nope, nope, nope. Yep. Unfucking believable. I know it's awful. And so, uh, and the other thing about it, uh, the the three boys, most people uh, assume, and I, you, you're an expert on this, obviously, they were murdered somewhere else, and then their bodies were put there. That's what they think, just because uh, you know it was one of those crazy ass things where the prosecutor tried to say, well, there's no blood at the crime scene because they drank it all. Right. That's, actually, <laughs> that's what the pro no, that's really what they said. That's that's what they, they were saying. They drank all the blood as part of some satanic ritual. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it make more sense that they were murdered somewhere else, and that that's why? There was no more. Didn't you have the, the balls and uh, the dick and balls of one of the kids in that's the That's what they were saying, house? too. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember that. It, they, that's one of the reasons it was so hard to even get a, a, you know, a trial that was anywhere close to you know, feasibly um, objective is because you had all these rumors going through the community yeah. like they're finding the kids' testicles and right. mason jars <sighs> in our bedrooms and yeah. things like this that people actually believed. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, I, and I established earlier I hate mosquitoes. Turns out none of the victims had mosquito bites on them. Exactly. And and the people that were searching the area had to get the fuck out of the area because guess what? They were there were too many alive. mosquitoes. They yes. were getting eaten alive. So um, like, we got to come back tomorrow. Wow. Yep. And then they find the kids and not one mosquito bite on any one of the kids. Well, you know. Crack team. <laughs> A through Z on this. Crack <laughs> being the key word. Yes. <laughs> you remember the... Walk us through the day they decide, all right, we're arresting you for this. Well, it it started probably a month before they arrested us. You know, they would come to the house and ask us questions just about every day. The, one of the main guys said the second they pull the bodies out of the water, not later that afternoon, not after looking at the evidence, anything else. He says the second they pulled the bodies out of the water, the first words out of his mouth are, Damien Eccles finally did it. He went and killed someone. Yep. Uh, this is while they're yeah, pulling the bodies exactly, out of the water. Right. From that moment on, they were harassing me and one of the other guys pretty much nonstop, constantly, you know, picking us up, asking us questions, things like this. Whenever they did arrest us, you know, it's, it's one night, uh, me, Jason Baldwin, my sister, my girlfriend at the time, we're sitting in the living room watching TV. They start banging on the door. I think they're just coming to ask more questions or whatever. I'm like, just fuck it. I'm not even going to answer the door this time. But this time, they were, I mean, they were beating so hard, it looked like they were going to knock it off the, the hinges. So I opened the door to see, you know, what the hell you want. And pretty much every cop in West Memphis was sitting there with their guns pointed at me whenever I opened the door. Uh, they arrest me. 
and the other guy put us in the backs of cars, take us to the, to the jail station. They put me in like a holding cell that's so small. It's about the size of maybe two phone booths put together. There's no toilet, no sink. You can't lay down. You pretty much just stand there almost like you're in a closet. Um, I stand there like that all night long. They just come in every so often and ask me, are you ready to make your confession yet? They tell me the stuff about how, you know, uh, we already have somebody that confessed and they are putting all the blame off on you. So if you want to save yourself, you should go ahead and confess and put the blame on them. Uh, that went on until the next morning whenever they take me before this judge. And he says, um, first he asked, do you want us to read this confession out loud in court? And I said, you know, fuck yeah. And that's from Jesse. Yeah, right. yeah. So I didn't even know by this point who they're talking about, who confessed, because okay. I only had one friend, and that was the guy who was with me when I was arrested. Jason Baldwin. So exactly. I, you didn't really know Jesse and Miss Kelly, right? I knew who he was just because we lived yeah, in the yeah, same general area. But you didn't really hang out with no. him. No. Okay. No. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had like an IQ of somewhere between 70, 72, like that. He didn't even go to like normal you know, classes in right. the school where we did. He was in like the special education classes. So there was no reason for us to you know, right. really be in contact with each other. So I say, yeah, read the confession out loud. The judge says, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, they take me to a broom closet behind the judge's chambers and give me a typed manuscript of the confession. The second I start reading through this thing, I realize why he didn't want to read it out loud in court, because nothing in this thing matched anything to Makes do with the crime sense, scene. Right. You know, for, just for example, the, he starts off by saying the murders happened at like 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, they knew that wasn't true because the kids were still in school at that time. You know, they didn't even come up missing till later that night. But, you know, nobody would hear about stuff like that because it wasn't read in the courtroom. Jesus. Yeah, it's lovely. And what are you thinking there? Like, I'm going to get railroaded or you're like, this is so ridiculous that I, I'm going to have to deal with this for a little while, but I'll be out of here soon. That's what you're thinking. You're, you're it, still thinking, you know, somebody is going to stop this. Right. A real person will read this. Yeah, exactly. And go, it was 8 a.m. No, they were in school. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, so, so he's ha hoping yeah. and hoping that somewhere in this line, a Probably not real, even hoping. Exactly. Just like, ah, it's just a matter of time. It's a little mix up it's here. Just common sense. But yeah. You, yeah. The, Surely to God. The day they took you out of your house... 18 years will go by before you even go back uh, there. I did not know that at the time. You know, like the lawyers that were working on my case or whatever, they would say, yeah, you know, just give us a couple years. We're working on your appeals. And I think, a couple years? My That's God, insane. I'm going to be in prison for a couple. If they would have told me, you know, you're going to be sitting here almost two decades later, I would have probably killed myself. Right. So it's a good thing I didn't know it. And, and so then this kid, uh, Jesse, he confesses, and then he confesses four or five more times, and, and the story's different every freaking time, and they're still ignoring all this and railroading these guys. Well, they were appreciating his creativity at this point. Right. And they convict him pretty quickly, and mm -hmm. he gets life in prison. And then they wanted him to testify against you guys, but then he's like, I'm not testifying against these guys. So then they can't even use the confession in your uh, trial with Jason, and they didn't really have anything else, right? And uh, they still stick with it. Because the confession was out there. Everyone, at that point, exactly. pretty much everyone has read the damn thing. So even in your, though you're telling the jurors to ignore the confession from this Jesse guy, it's in their heads. Yes. Well, it was in the you know the big newspaper in our area, the Commercial Appeal over in Memphis. It was even in the they newspaper. They printed it. Yeah. A uh, whole in, thing, really. I don't know if it was, it was so long ago, I can't remember if it was the whole thing or not, but they printed at least excerpts from oh, it. Wow. So everybody in the area knew, yeah. you know, before we even go in, they knew um, that he had confessed. So, uh, have you forgiven Jesse? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, uh, people think of, of forgiveness or, or things like that as like something, you know, to, to be honest, it's like, I don't even think about this case anymore. You know, that that's 
kind of when I try to describe that to people out here, that's great. It's hard for people to understand, but unless you know I'm talking to if somebody asks me about it or something on a you know normal daily basis, I never even think about this. Can I, that's got to make you happy. Yeah, oh, that, well, you, exactly. that shows you've achieved through well, exactly the magic yeah. or whatever it is. Well, that's important, and I'm sure you talk about this in high magic in one way or another because you just made a. That what you just said there is really important that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast could learn from. A lot of people go through some shit, and yes. maybe some of them listening right now shit pretty close to what you went through or whatever. Anywhere in between, it doesn't matter. Yep. And people can't let let stuff go. Yes. yes. And you know, if you I, can let this go, what you've been through, anybody and, can. I kind of think of it as like a, a victim mentality. You know, when people just Hang on to it. exactly yeah. they refuse to let go, and they build an identity for themselves out of it. You know, I was wronged by this person, or I was wronged by the system, or whatever it is. And and I, I think every single person on the face of this earth could probably look through their past in some way and find something to be bitter about, right. something to be angry about, something to feel screwed over about if they wanted to right it really comes down to making a choice you know finding what you're supposed to be doing in this life and dedicating yourself to it in a way that is going to make you happy or building an identity for yourself based on what you perceive as being screwed over and that's the foundation of negativity exactly you, yeah. why would you why would anyone and yet they do i agree yes, with they, do. Yeah. they yep. certainly that, do that, let me just build my whole platform on shit yeah yeah yep. that's a great and awfulness and wallowing and negativity and whatever oh, yeah that's else. why what he said is really no, important cool. it could help people it's i believe amazing right um, if anybody had a right to be bitter yeah it would be someone like yourself <laughs> so 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 jesse's done he's not going to testify against you and uh jason they don't have anything else really they can't put you at the crime scene there's no evidence on the bodies well they had some stephen king books uh that, that was part of that was what they introduced as evidence they had some uh, metallica t-shirts do you know what books i can't even remember now <laughs> Uh, Christine, the one about the car. <laughs> let's see, Metallica t-shirts, Stephen King books, uh, some skateboarding posters. Yeah. Uh, all of this, the prosecutor in their closing yes. argument said, this proves that not only was I guilty of murder, but that also it proves I don't have a soul. No, it proves you're guilty of being a teenager. There you yeah. go. It's the only thing you're guilty you of. I, I think this You don't have a soul. <laughs> but clearly, clearly this skateboard shit proves the man has no soul. I mean, round up Tony Hawk right now. <laughs> he must be the leader. Right. <laughs> We should convict Stephen King for being wordy. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. But you want to talk about someone that understands the soul, it's Damien Eccles. Sure. Not those bozos, and yeah, that's a dumb word, but I'm using it here right. today. Those bozos that that ended up uh, convicting you to uh, you. a death sentence. They were so incompetent. Uh, yeah, they so they had some of his notebooks and some of the music he was listening to and uh, some of his black T-shirts. No soul. Uh, Horrible teenage poetry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, oh yeah, that's, no. That's good to admit. Yeah. That's, that's ballsy right yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's one of the worst things now is like looking back at, the, you know, most people write horrible teenage poetry and, you know, and they're afraid, allowed to forget that crap later. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like I look back and I read it and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I was just illiterate you know, for, for one <laughs> you're very well read these days but, uh, I'm laughing with so, at least they 
I say this very, very loosely, obviously. You know what side I'm on. Uh, at least they sort of had something on Damien with the with all the stuff we, he just described. Oh, God. But poor, How's that sort of? No, no, no. Well, Go ahead, sorry. No, but here's my point. And you're right. Because <laughs> what they had on him was ridiculous. But my point is okay. Jason Baldwin had none of this. Nothing. Yep. His whole crime was that he was friends with him. Exactly. <laughs> Guilt yes. by association. Exactly. Right up. Because he yep. was friends with the, in quotes, devil worshiper. Uh, yep. That's the only thing they had on him. Well, you know, yep. Dracula has to have Renfield. There you go. <laughs> you have yep. to have the sidekick. Yep. They there just lumped him in with <laughs> Satan. And here we and go. And that's why they wanted oh, to try these guys crazy, together. Crazy. Because they didn't really have anything on him, and they barely had anything on uh, Damien. You know, uh, Damien. But they figure, well, if we try them together, exactly. we can lump uh, lump Jason into this garbage, exactly. and, and we can get two convictions out of this. It's just sick. And it's awful. And the question I got is: so, when you went through this, you were seventeen or eighteen, right? Uh, yes. Let me think. Eighteen when I was arrested. Nineteen at the time. Okay. Of the trial. So. Watching the documentaries again, I just watched them the last couple of days over the weekend. Blew off football and everything because I started getting obsessed and I went down a wormhole with this crap. <laughs> and and um, do you regret your behavior in the courtroom? Because I'm watching these documentaries going, obviously knowing the outcome, going, oh my God, what, you know, he's taking it lightly. Like, this is so ridiculous that I'm just going to have fun with, almost well, like you're having fun. You know what? People, a, a lot of people have said to me, like when I'm doing interviews or something now, they'll say, you know, your own behavior at the time really didn't do you any favors, did it? And they, they think I'm going to say, well, no, it didn't. But the honest to God truth is a lot of the reason people even remember this case was because of the way I was at the time. Right. You know, if I would have, you know, been like Jesse Miskelly or, or whatever it is that people, you know, normally do when they're going through this stuff, people probably wouldn't have even remembered these cases. Yeah. You know, it was not only was it the way I looked, the music I listened to, the way I behaved that, you know, made me suspect in the first place. It was also those things which led to my release. Right. You know, people who like you're like, you know, keep in mind back in 1993, Metallica wasn't like a mainstream thing yet. It, no. You know, it wasn't played on classic rock stations. I think you the, were still a loser. If that's you sort of around. They were not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There you go. No. There you go. So people now, they see stuff like that and they say, well, you know, I could identify with you because I was a misfit. I was an outcast. Sure. You know, I was a loser, whatever it was. Those were the people who, you know, devoted their time and energy and lives to proving us innocent and getting us out of prison. And how cool was it that Metallica gave you three songs for the documentary? Yep. Not you personally, but for the documentary, they oh, said nice. you could use san Sanitarium. Um, which other two do they use? Uh, uh, I think Master of Puppets. Yeah, yeah, Master of Puppets. Yep. And that's fitting. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then, you know, because in the first documentary, you see these guys joking uh, behind the scenes and stuff, obviously not in the open courtroom, but now they're they're having meetings with their lawyers and, and whatnot um, behind, you know, uh, during some of the uh, the trial, and they're still joking because they're sitting there like, any moment now, th this is sort of fun, we're getting a lot of attention in our town, it's a national story, and they're, they're joking with each other thinking this is, it's just a matter of time right. before yep. this whole thing, you know, uh, gets uh, dismissed. Yep. Even when, at the end of the, the first documentary, when they're putting you guys in chains, like, it's over, they've been sentenced, he's fucking going to be on death row, and you guys are in that room together going, now I see it in your faces, like, 
what the fuck? And yeah. why why didn't you guys just start screaming bloody murder at that point? You guys were you're still shock. calm. Shock. Yeah, you're in shock. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. You know, the, I always, the thing I always, Mike Tyson one time, I think it's one of the best quotes I've ever heard. He said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. And, I, you know, I always tell people, if you've ever been in a real fight, a lot of times when you get hit, you don't even register pain at first. Right. You know, that might not even come to the next day. Yeah. The only thing you really register is like a loud noise, a bright flash of light. Um, it, it's hard to describe what it's like when you really just get the shit punched out. Of yeah. You. When you're standing there in, in a in a system going through something like that, it's being it's like being punched in the head repeatedly. You know, you are not thinking normally. You're not processing what's going on around you normally. You are in such a deep state of shock that you really don't even feel like yourself. Right. That makes sense. Oh, yes. I get some kind of like zombie fog. That Yes, situation. that's exactly. You're kind of almost numb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's start talking about the dimwits. So uh, <laughs> then one guy, uh, I forget some of the names, but one guy decides that uh, Jason Baldwin, he had a hunch. He had a hunch that there'd be something in uh, the pond behind Jason uh, Baldwin's trailer. He had a hunch. <laughs> big hunch. Yeah. He calls the media. I got a hunch. <laughs> so they show up. Am I right? Yes. They show up because this fucking, what's his name? I can't even remember which one that was. Okay. I got this a, makes me happy though. But every time you <laughs> you sort of remember, I'm going, nope, I just love that. I just yeah, that's another, great. You fuck these people, it's gone. You have cleansed exactly. yourself from the role roster of exactly. mongoloid yeah. waterheads. <laughs> I like that. The, the troglodytes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you this much, Dave. We have to go through this because I haven't seen you in a while. Yep. But I want you back on the podcast. And you know what? We won't mention this at all. And we'll talk. There about you other, go. We'll, we'll talk about all the stuff. Talk I music. Mean, we'll talk music. There you go. I live here in the city. Anytime yeah. you say the word, yeah. I can. Okay. Okay, cool. So this guy has a hunch, a big hunch, he says. He calls the media, so they all show up. Now it's a, a three-ring circus, and within a half hour of a diver going in, they pick out the, the knife. And then yes. they say, this is the knife that was used on the, on the, on the little boys. Uh. And it looks, you know, fitting in Robin Hood Park, almost like a fucking machete. You know, oh, it really? doesn't even look like a, a, like a little, yeah. you know, pocket knife. I mean, this thing is huge right you know it looks like something that that jason would have on friday the 13th or something okay and they're trying to say that's what was used to do what the uh, the forensic examiner said was like surgical like precision okay, right. in these murders so yet another say, exactly so clearly there you no go. way it's this yes there you this go. is for chopping through banana leaves in the there costa Rican jungle oh, there you go you know. you know fast forward a good 10 12 years when they finally have a a lot of money where they could get real people involved with this case okay. peter jackson Jackson, Eddie Vedder, and uh, and Johnny Depp, and, and and the rest of them. So they hired some real people. Now Arkansas was fucked because now they have to deal with real people. Uh, the new, they hate that. The new pathologist. <laughs> the new pathologist looks at the crime scene photos of the boys and goes, "This wasn't a serrated knife. This is this is obviously animals." Yeah. Well, they were left, That's, you know, in a wooded area. Like, you know, not only are there mosquitoes out there, there's snapping turtles. There's all kind of, you know, and, uh, who God knows what all's out there. Sure. And they were just left laying in the woods. So, you know, they're just exposed where anything out there could have access to. And what do you think? When you die, 
Your own pet will start uh, oh, munching, yeah. munching yeah. at yeah. you within a day. Yeah. Sure. Who are you kidding? You're yeah. in the forest and nobody, yeah. nobody did anything. But the guy looks at these people like, are you kidding me? The, the, the first guy should have known this wasn't a serrated knife. This is this is claws from an animal. I think they're saying turtles, by the turtles, way. Yep. Turtles, yep. Turtles. Snapping yeah. turtles. Oh, God. It's like, he's like, this is so obvious this wasn't done by a knife. Well, it didn't matter about the knife. We had the black t-shirt. Exactly. Right. There you we go. We had the black <laughs> t-shirt, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And his Stephen King book, by God, yeah. that's how you know. Well, the, the knife was one of those things I never did know if he planted it there or they could have actually found that in there just because that lake, it was right in the middle of a trailer park where everybody in the trailer park threw their garbage in there. Yeah. You know, there was, I, I can remember my, my friend's little brother one time, he would dive down to the bottom of the lake and I didn't know what he was doing, but he would come up and get air and then he would go back down, come up and get air and go back down. Eventually he comes out the side of the lake and he's pushing a wheelbarrow. That he got off the bottom he of the lake. A, he and found a wheel. Yeah, there were old newspaper machines, washing machines, like box springs and mattresses. This takes me back to my childhood. This takes me straight back to my childhood. I knew you would have joined out in Ohatchee, Alabama, on the creek bank. I also heard that Jason Baldwin's mom, I think, said she might have thrown the knife in yeah, there a year I mean, prior. There's no way to, I mean, it could have got in there in, you know, untold numbers of ways. Right. Um... So, yeah, then the new pathologist basically said, ah, this was done by animals. And then even one of the kids uh, was castrated. So they <sighs> thought that was some kind of devil worshiping, right. right? No. And that turns out it most likely was an animal as well because, what you know, you when go. an animal sees a body, they go for the soft stuff That's quick. Exactly. That yeah. would be your ears, that would your, be your, your nose, nose, and that would be your ball yep. bag. Yep. Your yep. lips, yep. yep. And your lips, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and this guy's like, this is so obvious. This is unbelievable. That uh, they held them uh, well, the, the, with this evidence, and you would think with this is where their hillbilly knowledge could have helped them. Exactly. Because, now this is a community. You know, there's hunters there that know all this stuff. You know, there's people that in, that are in the woods that hunt and fish yes. and do these things, and they would know this shit. Not one of them said a damn thing. Right? No, no, no. no. Well, I mean, you got to keep in mind by that point the whole satanic thing was yeah, just, huge. Yeah. I mean, that was like not only was it like they're saying that's the reason for the murders. It was like it sort of energized the whole small community because it as as morbid as it sounds it kind of added some excitement to their day to think oh there's a satanic cult running around out here doing you know god knows what they used to actually you know pretty much from that point on everything that happened was blamed on satanists you see a possum on the side of the road with tire tracks on it probably satanists <laughs> <laughs> anything anything at all anything bad nothing <laughs> you know a bird's nest rots and falls out of a there tree you go. Satanists? Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> so they had the knife. They had your drawings and your music. And I'm trying to think what else they had. What was the other big piece of evidence? What was it? I think that's uh, more or less it. Oh, and the confession that wasn't really. Uh, and technically, part of the that's trial. all they needed—the confession, right? You know, and most people still to this day think, you know, oh, if you confess to something that you know, the average person thinks you will never confess to something you haven't done. Thank you for bringing this up too, because I've been trying to study this the last couple of days, and I don't get it. A lot of people confess to stuff that they didn't do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the pressure of being in, yes. being in, uh, interrogated and whatnot. But then there's another psychological thing where you just had it and you're like, I I'll confess just to make this stop. And that's a normal average What is it called IQ again? There's, there's something, it's, a, it's uh, and it happens way more than people know. And back in 93, they didn't really know of this uh, phenomenon yet. Well, keep in mind, like something like 55% of the people who are exonerated through a DNA testing confess to the crime. Yes. 
I've yeah. seen all this. I don't understand that because it, and yet you see it represented in all, not just your case, but yes. all kinds of cases like this. This is a, it's it's a sickening thing, uh, the what how the cops can pressure you to do this, and then it's even more sickening that somebody would just fold on themselves because they don't know what to do. They're desperate. They and have no idea. Keep in mind too, you're talking about most of these studies are done with people of you know average IQ. Right. Yeah. You're talking about a guy in our situation, like I said, had an IQ of seventy to seventy-two. Right. You know, which is way way below normal. I see you have a lot of tattoos. Your tattoos yes. are really cool, by the way. Thank you. You wear the neck tattoo very nicely. But uh, Jesse had a clock on the top, on top of, of his head. On top of his head. Yes. Yeah. The neck tattoo, you know, I always said, even when I was getting tattoos, I said, I won't go to the neck. That's like a whole new level of trailer park. And then... I did it and I actually liked it. So now I'm saying I draw the line at the face. Right. You know, yeah, you no, can't go no, face. No, no, no face. face. This looks good. I, I've, like I've got a full view of it right yeah, here. No, yes, the, it's a good one. The neck thing, the neck tattoo is becoming pretty, pretty normal. Good. Pretty Jesse, normal, more or less. When he got the thing on top of his head, the, the clock on top him. of his head. <laughs> First time I saw it, I saw it on TV. And I, really? And I thought, I didn't realize what it was for a second. I thought he had like converted to Judaism or something when he was in prison. I yeah. thought it was like one of the little, you know, sure. the hat yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, on top of his head. I didn't realize at first, oh, it's a clock face <laughs> that he tattooed on top of his head with a safety pin for God knows whatever. Yeah, reason. The, well, the idea wasn't bad. But wait, wait, what's the safety pin got to do with it? Well, that's well, how they do a lot of tattoos, tattoos in prison. Oh, oh, that, oh yeah. okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was like... Ouch. That was yeah. a prison... That, <laughs> yeah. that was a prison tattoo no. on yeah. top of it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the beauty of his clock tattoo, it didn't have hands because he was waiting to fill that in for, uh, You know, when he, when he found out yeah. when he would be out. Not the worst idea for a tattoo. Maybe the worst placement. <laughs> <laughs> but that kid was uh, that kid was abused by his family and, and yeah. the community because I, I, I also read that... What happened know, to him? Do we know? He went right back to the exact same trailer park he lived in whenever we were arrested. He, he takes care of his dad who has something. It's not Alzheimer's, but it's something like Alzheimer's. But the dad that, that, was, that abused him, that wasn't yeah. nice to him. Yeah, and, and, and so his dad has actually called the cops on him a couple times now because he can't even remember. The cops will have to show up and explain to him no this is your son uh, he'll think oh there's somebody my. in his house he's that far gone yeah. Yeah. yeah that's scary because when we get to the alfred play that you know if, if he if any of you guys are accused of anything you could go right back in jail that thing is insane we'll yeah that also aggravates in me in a second yeah. but, uh, Bill, Bill, i was going to rewatch like you did yeah and then i'm like i, I was like this is just going to make me mad all over again it pissed <laughs> me off I, i'd have to put it on pause and go outside i'm doing bong hits <laughs> i'm so goddamn mad <laughs> And so I thought, I'm like, then I just remembered certain bullet points. And then I'm like, I, I know enough of this. If I start thinking about it, it'll piss me off again. Well, so I didn't want to rewatch all of it. Yeah, but because you, get, you're a dedicated Well, I wanted to be well-informed for Damien. Certainly, I haven't right. I have seen him in a while. And, I got you. And the first time he came in, I wasn't as informed as this. So I, I, I knew I would get a second chance, and I wanted to make sure I, I, I did it properly. But, uh, yeah, but it, it gives you nightmares because you're like, the, the system could do this to oh, you, not just Dean Eccles Anybody. and Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly there with the big uh, clock tattoo. <laughs> it could be me and you, man. Uh, and it, uh, that's scary because you got reputations at, 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 at risk, uh, uh, careers, all that stuff. Well, you know, keep in mind when you're talking about things like judges, prosecutors, attorney generals, for some reason, the public has this perception that they have this job because they're somehow moral, upstanding people who have yeah. earned it in some yeah, way. Right. They're politicians, exactly. just like they senators, just yeah. like congressmen. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't trust those guys with your no. lives. No. You wouldn't trust them to tell you the truth. But for some reason, you know, you put this black robe on a guy and you automatically assume, oh, he's a good guy. He right. must 
must be telling the truth. Yeah, man. And that, I mean, it's all about winning uh, losses for exactly. those guys, too. That's they, can't take, they can't take an L. Hell no. Oh, hell so no. even hell if they're no. sitting there going, oh, man, I got to be the guy that stands up and says, this is wrong. We, we fucked up. That's going to affect his career. And Not I, only do they have to admit that they sentenced an innocent person to death, but they also have to admit that they allowed the person who actually committed these crimes to walk free right. for 20 years. Yep. So, you know, that's there's no way in hell they're going to do that. And I'm guilty of, uh, of trying to figure out who actually did this. Because in the first documentary, uh, uh, oh, help me out, Byers? Yes. Uh, Byers is the, the weird dude. The yeah. stepfather. Yeah, the dude, yeah, yeah. the weird Stepfather, I know that one dude, of the yeah. victims. He was, yeah. he was like, as soon as I saw him on screen, uh, it's him. Yeah. <laughs> now, then we're doing exactly. Oh, well, I did just, that too. Yeah, no. My attorneys at no, the know, time told me this guy was guilty. They're yeah. like, this is the guy who did this. Yeah. We know this is the guy In who the did this. In the documentary, right, he right. goes it to the crime right. scene and puts gasoline down and it's burning it and then screaming at the no, devil the and whatever and passages from the Bible. Yeah, it was weird. And uh, I'm like, wow, that's the guy who did it. Holy crap. So I did exactly what we probably shouldn't do. Shouldn't do, right. Yeah. You know, because then you fast forward and you realize he did not do it. He's also been exonerated. And he came to your defense because he... Yeah, he switched all the way back over. Oh, yeah. he motherfucked you and, and, and the other two guys and then changed his tune. He did a whole 180. Yep. yep. And then you apologized to him, too, because you, would, you were openly uh, uh, saying during the trial that he did it. Exactly. Because you were convinced. Yep. It was a roller coaster, man. And yeah. everyone has pretty much changed their tune and did a 180 except for Hobbs, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I think there's uh, two other members of one of the victim's families. But for the most part, the victim's families are even on our side. They're doing everything they can, you know, to f actually get the person who did this prosecuted, get our names cleared yeah, out. So they've ended up being our biggest allies. Because yeah, this doesn't have an effect on their careers. They want to know who killed their kids. Exactly. Right. And you would think, again, you would think these idiots over here would listen, especially listen to these people. Right. People, you know, if that's not enough to get you to have an open mind or rethink it or do it, right. you know, when the when, when the victim's families are there, that, that, then you're, you're, exactly. str you're, you're laser focused on nothing. Yep. I'm well, not listening I mean, to nothing. Not only that, but keep in mind that, you know, like I said, the DNA results, the way we found out who the DNA matched was not because the prosecutor ran the results through CODIS. Yes. To this day, they have still refused to run the DNA results through CODIS to find who they match. We found out because my wife was doing things like digging cigarette butts out of people's garbage. That's how we matched the DNA, not oh, wow. because the prosecutor ran it through no CODIS. No kidding. I didn't know that. You're doing your own private detective kind exactly. of Exactly. We around, had to. Sure, of we course. We had to. Yeah. Yeah, that leads to the wife and Hobbs. Joey Salvia here. I know. Why now? Well, because we have our sponsor to get to. But as I sit here putting the final touches on this episode of OP Radio, all I can say is we're going to hear more from Damien. And man, is that guy a true survivor. Talk about a hard break. And he's got a clear head, smart, focused, an amazing sense of humor. And let's not leave his fellow Southern gentlemen out of the mix to help lighten up what is honestly a horrific story. Good call by Greg bringing in Vic Henley for this one. Now let's promote the best toothbrush on the face of this earth, and then we can get back to this comprehensive interview. Go, Greg. Hi, Quip. How are you? I love my Quip toothbrush, Mikey. You want to help me out with the live reads today, Mikey? Because I see you over there with a microphone in front of your face. Of course. I love Quip. Who doesn't love Quip? I stuck my Quip toothbrush to my uh, mirror. Because I'm so proud of what it looks like. This thing is so awesome. It's so sleek. I love it. And what people don't know is that I got a Quip toothbrush before they started advertising on the OP Radio podcast. How about that? 
That's why they jumped on. You were saying how much you loved Quip. Yeah, Quip is awesome, and uh, you don't have to. It takes like one little battery to charge it, and then uh, you just replace the batteries, and you're good to go. You don't have to plug it into a wall and all that crap. Uh, the design is amazing. the uh, The timing thing is great. I'm actually brushing my teeth way longer. I, I realized I was not brushing my teeth long enough. My God, I'm lucky that I still have all my teeth. But with Quip. Every 30 seconds, it like pulses, and that means you got to move to another side of your mouth, and it's two minutes, and you don't mind doing it for the two minutes, and uh, it's beautiful. Simple as that. Uh, what else can I tell? Oh, I know what else I could say about Quip. They replaced the bristles. They replaced the bristles with your old electric toothbrush. You used that until it, it was worn down to nothing, right? Not with Quip. They know. I think it's like every three months they send another bristle in the mail and then you pop that baby on. You got a brand new toothbrush. Hey, they thought of everything. And I think a lot of dentists love Quip. 20,000 dental professionals. My God, can we list all 20,000 dental professionals on my podcast, please? I don't care how many dentists. I know there's a lot of them. I know. Actually, my dentist, I went in for a cleaning recently. And he was trying to hand me a toothbrush. I go, ah, ah, I got my quip. I don't need your free toothbrushes anymore. How about them apples? Huh? And he also knew about quip, by the way. But he's, he's, not, he's not doing that well where he could just hand out a quip to every person that goes into his office. But he knows about the quip and he says, yeah, you're doing good. So there you go. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash Opie right now, you get your first refill pack for free with the Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Opie. That's getquip.com slash Opie. That's getquip.com slash Opie. Hey, this is Lou from Staten Island. Just calling to say I've been listening since 1997. And I got to say, brother, I'm going to be 40 years old next year. And your podcast is phenomenal. You're the only one who has matured. Not going to bash anybody, but the other two just haven't matured. You're like a fine wine, Opie. Better with age. Keep up the good work, brother. Opie Radio. I'm also here to show my support for the West Memphis Three. It makes me scared (laughs) that, you know, this could happen to any of us. I'm just tired. You know, this has been going on for over 18 years. In the beginning, we told nothing but the truth that we were innocent. And they sent us to prison for the rest of our lives. There's Damien Eccles. The legal tangle that has become known as the West Memphis Three case is now finished. Does anyone believe that if the state had even the slightest continuing conviction that they were guilty, that they would let these men free today. So when did the wife uh, enter the picture? I can't, to be honest, my wife or his wife? No, your wife. Uh, Because she's very important to this. After the documentary, she... We got married in 99. She lived here in New York at the time. She ends up moving to Arkansas and did more work on my case than the attorneys and private investigators and lawyers all put together. You know, she was an architect here in the city. She quit her job, gave up her entire life to move to, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas and and work on this case full time. So she left Manhattan and went to Arkansas. That's a worse prison sentence than you got. It is. (laughs) It is. Yeah, she was, but she was so sorry, out, sorry. She, she was so outraged that she's like, I, I gotta, I want to be part of this. Yes. And then how do you guys fall in love? 
keep in mind we didn't have like internet access or, or you know chatting on Facebook or whatever the hell people do now this was back when we still had to write you know longhand that's letters. good stuff though that's oh, yeah. how you really get to know somebody uh, yeah it absolutely. is it is Sorry, it no is. I know absolutely. I was not making fun yeah. no that's yeah. exactly yeah the kids today are like here's my dick yeah. yes. <laughs> here's my tits uh, yeah. monkey, monkey face emoji monkey face emoji <laughs> we're in love now always we're in love now we're kind of going back to you know ancient Egypt again people are starting to use hieroglyphics yeah. yeah yeah but you guys had to you know work it so that's a dumb question you know of course you're gonna fall in love because you you, you can't just uh, be having sex you know exactly no, you gotta you, talk and listen you gotta through talk letters. And exactly. and, through and letters exactly you know I always compare it to they say when somebody has brain damage like say they have some sort of trauma um, the brain has to find a way to form new connections to compensate for the ones that got damaged right. and that's sort of what we had to do in our relationship like you said we couldn't sleep in the same bed together we can't have sex we can't go to the movies together we can't go to dinner together so we had to come up with different ways Ways to form connections that turned out, you know, for us to be longer lasting than at least monkey faces and dick pictures. <laughs> 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 well, you're up to 19 years. You're doing something right, Yeah, you're right, doing man. something right, yeah. my man. Uh, did, I, so when you got married in 99, did they let you? Uh... No. no. No, we had, that was, when we got married, we had been together for three years at that point. Yeah. When we got married was the first time we ever actually even physically touched. Wow. Did you just, you know. <laughs> well, it was. It was <laughs> really? It was going to go there? <laughs> to, to be honest, I, just... at that point, was so. <laughs> right. Keep in mind. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> keep it, I a mean, girl, a girl touched me. Keep right. I hadn't had, girl. you know, much of any human contact by that point sure. other than having the shit beat out of me. Right. You know, so it was really surreal we were allowed to have not only was that the first time we touched but we were allowed to have six people at the wedding ceremony that was the first time i had been touched by anyone that was not trying to murder me yeah in years can i ask uh were you allowed to do all that stuff because of the documentary you know they gave you a little more freedom knowing like in 99 you're like he's a big no big no that was just you know just what just, they allowed okay. yeah, exactly yeah and then uh when did you get word that eddie vetter was uh on your radar you know what somebody or asked you were me on that, his radar i should say somebody asked me recently who oh because in the book i uh he wrote the foreword and i dedicated it to him and someone asked me recently you know how long have y'all met and i honest to god cannot even remember how we met how we came in contact the first time i just remember he used to come to the prison while i was in prison you know sit there in the visitation room with me eating you know shitty food out of the vending machines for years before i ever even got out you know, he has been just a, hanging out. Just exactly. Yes. So you're allowed every how many visitors? Or exactly. He would just show up I was just... allowed to have one one visit a week for three hours. Okay. And, <clears throat> and every now and then he'd show, show exactly. up and hang out. Yep. Like if he just... was doing, say, a concert in Memphis or whatever, right. he would just drive over to where I was right. and come, I, you know, spend time at the prison. I promise I'm not going for the joke. I'm going for a moment here. Did that. Would you get beat up because the, the the people at the prison are like this motherfucker is Eddie Vedder visiting him? Did you get a couple extra shots after Eddie Vedder went home? No, I, the only thing I would, I would for imagine, being like the famous prisoner. No, I would you imagine. They didn't I would imagine the was. jealousy. I can see that. No, I agree with you. I they would. had no idea who he was. <laughs> oh, no, Most on. of the guards there had no <laughs> oh, fucking clue. Oh, you know, if if somebody tells you, 
you know, it's Eddie Vedder, it's the lead singer for Pearl Jam or whatever, but all they see is just this guy um, standing in line with the rest of the visitors coming right, into yeah. the prison, at a t- and he just comes in just like everybody else. So most of the time they didn't know. Usually the reason they would beat the shit out of you would be because um, I was doing interviews. You know, they don't look at it as like I'm bringing attention to my case. They look at it as like I'm bringing attention to what's going on in the prison. And they don't want anybody knowing exactly. that. What okay. a yeah. Exactly. I got it. Yeah. What a shitty position to be in because he's got to do the interviews because he's got to get the word out that I'm Correct. innocent and hopefully this will start uh, sticking out there and exactly. I, could, I could get this thing moving forward. They don't see it like that, though. They oh, see no. too much shining the light on exactly. them and their ugly shit that's going on behind exactly. closed doors. Yeah. Are you sitting there going, holy fuck, that's Eddie Vedder? <laughs> You know what? It's honestly I like, I no. Like, I, like, I would be. It would be surreal for me. Yeah, I would like. I like these human moments, like uh, everything you're going through. But you're sitting there, like, well, Eddie Vedder is <laughs> hanging out with me right it, now. It's kind of hard to, you know, articulate things like this now. But at, at the time, you kind of don't even equate the person sitting in the visitation room with you with the person you hear on the radio right you know it's like this is just the guy who comes and sees me this is a guy that i eat m&ms with this is you know the guy that comes and hangs out and whenever you do hear him on the radio that's what's kind of surreal yeah you're like oh wow there he is on the radio that was the the weird part stuff like that did did uh pearl jam do a song for you guys i i I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember. I know we did write one together. Eddie and I wrote one together, um, a song called Army Reserve. That's about, you know, a a guy having to leave his family behind, being deployed, all all this sort of stuff. Um, What what album is that on? I can't even remember which album. Yeah, I don't know offhand either. And he did a lot of uh, concerts for you. He did. One of the big things that led to, you know, like the tide really starting to roll in people demanding that the state do something about it was uh eddie vetter johnny depp um natalie mains patty smith a whole bunch of people came together and did a concert in arkansas right there you know in little rock close to the prison and it got you know national coverage people from all over the place covered this thing so it brought a huge amount of attention to what was going on there right. and once again that's the only thing they cared about and, and he he mentioned you off and off for 15 years you know the west memphis three they're gonna be out any time now oh, yeah. any fast day. forward another five yeah, years know, <laughs> it's gonna be right around the corner now <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just people outside it was me too you know i'm thinking okay we've got an appeal coming up you know that's gonna be it i've got that's six it. more months left here to go, go. In here and then i'm finally gonna go home that gets shot down Next when you when you down. really study the west memphis three you know you'll get madder and madder because now you're like okay all right all they fucked up all this stuff but all right now they're on to them they're, these guys are to get released within the next two or you know uh, two or three months let's say and another three or four years go by and that, then the thing that, at the that end, is a corrupt system it, but then what you were alluding to earlier the thing at the end it's still not a, an official exoneration exactly they have to do this weird ass thing yeah they gave it they the alfred the plea. alfred plea i had never even heard Me of this either. thing i didn't know i, had no I didn't idea. know such a thing existed I, I, the entire yes. reason that it exists yeah. is so that the system can't be held responsible for what they did what it what it comes down to is you get to legally maintain your innocence while at the same time accepting a guilty plea so that's to cover their basis so it you is can't so sue. stupid Keep it in mind, no sense. Well, I, to this day, no one on death row has 
ever been exonerated in the state of Arkansas. Right. They still, because of this plea, get to maintain that they have never executed an innocent person. Right. They've never convicted an innocent person, never sent an innocent person to prison. The only thing, the old loophole just to cover their ass. Well, the, the one thing that makes sense in the whole Alfred plea is like, you know, these guys could sue for ev- yeah. millions and millions. So with the Alfred plea, well, hey, you're going to be out of prison, but guess what? You can't you can't sue right. us for nothing. Yep. It's awful. So you're looking at Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and uh, Jesse and Miss Kelly. They told that. Well, let's leave Jesse out of this a little bit. Him and his clock tattoo. But you and Jason, <laughs> he's somewhere trying to figure out what time it is. Right. <laughs> he moves back to <laughs> right. Yeah. He lives with his dad in a, in, in a in a town that you know. Sure. Yep. Anyway, that's uh, typical, by the way. In a town that wanted him dead. No, that's typical. So, uh, but these two, and Jesse to a certain extent, you guys told the truth. You get life in prison and you get the death penalty. Fast forward 18 years, you tell a lie, you're out of you're prison. Out. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember what their names were. There were two brothers that had been sent to death row in Alabama. And whenever they're coming out of prison, they're standing on the courthouse steps. You know, they did, did sort of the same thing. I had to take one of these pleas. And one of the reporters asked him, do you think justice was finally served? And one of the brothers says, well, when we told them we didn't do it, they sent us to prison. When we say we did it, they're letting us go home. It's insane. So no. Yeah, yeah. no. And so after all this, you're in prison for 18 years. I'm, you're thinking you're getting out. You're not. Blah, blah, blah. We went through all that. And then one day they just go, hey, we got a hearing. You didn't know that day you were going to be free, right? No. They surprised you. Yes. They did. They so did. one day they're like, we got a, we got a hearing. But, he, but he's been through this a million times right. over the years. So he's like, oh, another fucking hearing with that asshole judge. Or maybe you knew the judge was different at that point. And next thing you know, all right, all right, sign this paper. You got to say, uh, I am innocent, but I am guilty or whatever. Yeah. I don't know the yep, exact phrase. That's phrasing, pretty much it. Yeah. But I am innocent, but I'm guilty. <laughs> I will sign this paper. And credit to Jason Baldwin, which has been uh, well documented. Jason Baldwin's like, I ain't taking this deal. There's no fucking way because I am innocent and this is garbage. It's basically garbage. But then he also realized, which makes him a really good human being, he realized that if they took the risk of a new trial, which it, it sounded like there was going to be a new trial, but that could take years. Yes. Oh yeah. There's no guarantee there. Jason Bowen's like, I'll take the new trial because it's now looking like this is all going to get figured out. Problem is that he could be put to death. Well, oh. you know, whenever we were doing, whenever they're yeah, discussing it's the original so, sentence. They, so yeah. Jason Baldwin basically did the Alfred plea for for oh, Dave. And keep nice. in mind, he was 16 when we were convicted. You're talking about a 16 year old kid who has more morals and integrity than the adults who are do, running in charge this whole of the whole show. thing, right? right. Yeah. But he unreal. He he was like, no, I'm not doing that. And then when people sat down and go, look, you got to understand this totally. You know, the new trial could take years, and they could, and and if this trial goes bad, the new trial, and you already know what you've been through, there's no guarantees here. It could be in uh, Damien Eccles' uh, life. So he was 16. How old were you? Uh, at the time we were arrested, he was 16. Jesse Miskelly was 17, and I was 18. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then they get out when they're like 36, 30, <sighs> 34, and 36. Yep. And 30 what five yeah. or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. So the Alfred plea. Awful. Is the reason why they're out. And keep, whenever they were discussing this deal, the prosecutor, I mean, he says, we did another documentary called West of Memphis yes. that my wife and I were producers on. And the prosecutor, he actually agreed to an interview. And he says in, the, in his interview, his main consideration in this was that we could have all sued for, on average, $1 million a year for, for every yes. year that we were locked up. Right. So you're talking about $18 million 
dollars per each, each of us. So yeah. he says his main consideration was making sure that the state of Arkansas wasn't held liable for sixty million dollars. He says this. <laughs> yeah, right. So whenever they're discussing this ah, deal, he says, makes my stomach hurt. You it's, know, you can. Yeah, yeah, you're going to win this if you go back to court. But every time a data set, we can ask for an extension. Every time a ruling is made, we can ask for an appeal. This can be drug out another five years, another so 10 years. So he's straight years. with you. Yeah. He says, or you can sign this paper Today. and go home tomorrow. Uh, People, you know, now they'll ask, was that like a hard thing to come to terms with or whatever, you know, having to do that? And the answer is no, no. because I was dying. Yeah. You know, I was losing my eyesight. At one point, I'd gotten down to like 116 pounds. I hadn't had sunlight or, or air in a decade. Um, you know, no human contact. And, and, you know, I know they can have me killed at any time. Look, look at just what yeah. happened to Whitey Bulger. Yeah. You know. 89 years old and yeah, they still got yes. it. Yes. Still got it. Yes. Yeah. They can they have you They killed. transfer him and, and he was yeah. dead the next yes. day or something like that. They could have you killed for a pack of cigarettes right. so I know whether it's because they're executing me or, or have something like that done or just you know failing health in general because like I said they're not taking care of you I knew one way or another if I did not take that deal I was not going to live to see the outside yeah, you, you, you couldn't take that chance no and you mentioned your eyesight you wear uh, sunglasses I remember that from the last time I talked yep. to you and the reason is because you can't you can't see well because of your time in prison? I or? am almost legally blind. Um, what happens, the same thing will happen to a horse if you put a horse in a stall and never take it out. Like normally out here, your eyes are constantly changing focus. You know, you're looking at stuff far away. You're looking at stuff close up. So your eyes are, you know, changing. Mine didn't do that. I'm locked in a 9 by 12 foot cell. There's nothing to look at. So your eyes, you know, just like any other muscle in your body, if you don't lose it, if you don't use it, you start to lose it. Same thing started happening with that. And, you know, not only my eyesight was damaged, but we didn't realize until after I got out. Right now I'm working with a doctor from um, Columbia here, the school, about the long-term effects of solitary confinement on the human brain when it's still forming. Because, like I said, I was a teenager. Okay. So I suffered a lot of effects that we didn't realize until I got out because I'm in solitary confinement while my brain is still forming connections. So I didn't develop things that people normally develop like facial recognition, voice recognition, things of that nature. I have actually introduced myself to the same person two or three times after going to dinner with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. You seem really with it and healthy, though. I remember when we first interviewed you. Yeah, you look great. Six, Thank you. Six, yeah, you look good. six years ago, you you definitely had that shell shock on your face yeah. for for real. And you you got to have the P, uh, uh, the PTSD. I, th I think it's pr I think I've only started to come out of that stuff probably within the past two years. I've been out for a little over seven years now. I would say I've only been even remotely semi-normal in the past two years. I, you have said two or three times sitting here today, I've noticed you said out here. Out here. You refer yes. to out, like, society, out, yeah, exactly. two or three times out here. Like, you know, it's a weird. That's an effect of that. It, it has is. to be. God it's a weird it. thing. I can't because sometimes it seems like inside prison was the real world right. the real life and out here it's almost too good no, to be i got true. no that's that's what i was out assuming. here sometimes it seems like as crazy as it sounds like i've always been out here and like being in prison was just like the short weird dream it goes back and forth well let's go back to prison because it goes back to your book so you're you're in your cell and uh you saw an angel and it was like triangles or something keep in mind a lot of these techniques a lot of these exercises that the what you're doing when you're doing magic 
is um and it's not david blaine magic. no no you're not you know, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, you're not, not even, I, I'm not even going for the joke but there are people out there like you made me laugh yeah, right, what a car, <laughs> car trick and you can get rid of your ptsd you're not pulling the rings rabbits are out linking. of hats the rings yeah. are linking. you're not right. pulling rabbits out of hats or sawing assistance right. in hats. when you pour milk into a newspaper and i don't have childhood trauma anymore he, he, he cut really? the knot right off the rope <laughs> right, he cut right. the knot right off the rope it just came right off right <laughs> and now i'm okay with everything that happened to me when i was Growing up. <laughs> I don't I have mommy issues anymore. <laughs> the easiest way to make people understand what you're doing is I compare it to imagine if you have a glass of water and you and this water just sits there for God knows how long and starts to stagnate and form, you know, debris in it and it gets filmy on top. It's like a fish aquarium, you never change. Well, if you take that glass of water, turn the faucet on in the sink, and you know, you don't have to pour it out or anything, just hold that water under the faucet and let it run over and run over and run over. Eventually you're gonna be left with a glass of clean water again that's sort of what you're doing to your energy system when you're doing ceremonial magic you're invoking elemental planetary astrological energies into your system you know these energies there's a name for in every single culture in the world except ours the japanese call it ki the the chinese call it chi the hebrews call it ruach the indians call it prana we're the only ones who really don't have a name for it well what you're doing is invoking more and more of this energy into yourself flushing old chi out when it gets down to the deepest levels of your energetic anatomy the deepest levels of your psyche it starts to even wash out things like trauma it can't even go deep enough to start flushing out what we think of as the ego you start to realize that you are not what you thought you were your entire life i like it i get it now eight you said eight hours would it be eight hours straight sometimes or usually or what i would the day do or? i would do like two hours stop do a couple hundred push-ups eat lunch a couple more hours stop maybe take a 30-minute nap or so okay. couple more hours right but it was basically all through the day you know in prison i would see a lot of guys in there go absolutely insane just because they have no life other than the prison yeah you know that's all they focus on it's all they see 24 7 they see the guards they see the walls they see the other inmates they get involved in you know gangs bickering all this kind of stuff so all they have is prison the key to staying sane in there is developing some sort of life for you. You have to have a routine and you have to have a life. You have to have something to focus on and to develop that will allow you to keep growing, keep changing. Because sure. most guys just go in there and they start to stagnate. Stir crazy. Exactly. 20 years later, they're still the same person they were whenever they walked in. They're going downhill physically, mentally, emotionally. Ceremonial magic was a huge part of what it gave me something to focus on. Sure. It does things, you know, like when you're doing that many hours a day of, you know, meditation, energy work, it also establishes emotional equilibrium. So you're not living in, you know, if you sit there and think about, oh my God, these people are trying to murder me for something I didn't do, you're going to go start raving nuts. Yep. You are living in a state of terror. Doing these techniques, it allows you to develop a kind of emotional equilibrium so that you're not living every single moment of your day in that state of fight or flight. It all makes sense, but how did you have that awareness at 18, 19 years old? Keep none, in we, mind. None of us know our shit yeah, at 18 well, or 19. I had a lot of time. I was going to say, did you do research? Yes. Well, just... it, it started, my interest in magic probably started when I was about seven years old, as crazy as that sounds. You know, keep in mind, I have a ninth grade education, and that's more than anybody else in my family. You're not going to look through my family tree and find 
college degrees or, or high school diplomas or any of that. So there wasn't like a lot of literature or anything like that in our house. The only thing in our house to read was those shitty old tabloids. And I don't mean like the ones that are focusing on celebrity divorces and stuff like oh, that. You mean like a Bigfoot had my baby. Exactly. Half alligator, <laughs> half man found along the banks of the Mississippi. My grandmother kept these things like they were encyclopedias, my, right? My friend's grandmother and did that. You, and, and she wasn't lo- reading them like they were, you know, like an, in a tongue-in-cheek way. Not, She's reading them like, this is some yeah. shit we need to be on the lookout for yeah. because you never know when we're going to have to take up arms and defend the trailer park against an alien. The National World News yes. was there. my Bible oh, yes. for many yes. years. Oh, yeah. Yes. And when I first got into radio, that was that was all the prep I needed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, used to, I used to take one on stage with me. Oh, when, sure. I, when I first started doing open mic nights, I had three I wouldn't I was I had three shitty little props and, uh-huh. I would take, and one of them was a copy of the Weekly World yeah, News yeah, and yeah. I had three different stories pinned where I would open it up and show uh, something about the the donor wants the kidney back. <laughs> you know, just, just that was if you went in doubt if you didn't feel funny, just grab a copy at the grocery store. Remember how huge Bat Boy was? Oh, sure. Bat Boy found They, did, they did an off-Broadway musical here. Did they? Oh, it was I didn't a, know that. It was a smash. I went and saw it. it was I pretty would see good. that. Yes, yeah. it was pretty good. Yeah. It was yeah. really cool. But I remember seeing in the back of one of these things an ad that said something like, "You know, want to learn the secrets of the universe and learn magic? Send five ninety nine today, and we'll send you this book." on magic so I run to my and I didn't even you know keep in mind I'm only like seven years old at this point to me it could have been like Harry Potter stuff what I didn't even know what the hell it was but just seeing that it was like it lit something inside me and I thought if you could study this if you could do this then what else matters right I didn't really come in contact with the techniques until I was in my teenage years and by that point you know you had had the whole neo-pagan Wicca explosion going on so you could walk into Barnes and Noble or or Borders things like that and find you know like the what they now consider the classics in the genre things like you know Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft all the, all the stuff that now we think of as geared towards twitches the teenage witches yeah <laughs> stuff like that so I start reading this I start trying this stuff practicing this and really what that stuff is is a really really watered down version of ceremonial magic you know ceremonial magic is like I said, some of it goes all the way back to ancient Egypt. Some of it even before that. It goes back to ancient Mesopotamia. It originated in, you know, the the part of the world that we would now call present-day Iraq. Well, it makes its way to the west whenever the Knights Templar go over there. And, you know, their job is to escort pilgrims through the Holy Land, make sure they're not attacked by, you know, roving bands of bandits in the Middle East, whatever. They come in contact with it then, bring it back to Europe. Uh, they're, you know, teaching this. At one point, the Templars are 20,000 strong. They not only are they doing this, but then they start to figure out things like banking and finance. They start to rival the Catholic Church in wealth and influence. The Catholic Church says we have got to stomp this shit out before it gets rooted, you know, and, and runs us out of business. Sure. So they issue a decree saying these guys are Satanist, round them up, burn them at the stake. That's what they start doing. They start burning these guys at the stake. It makes its way to the U.S. through an organization called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. You know, they existed in the late 1800s in Europe. You had people like uh, the poet W.B. Yeats, Aleister Crowley, uh, the people who um, created what we think of now when we think of the tarot deck. That was created by members of the Golden Dawn. So that's how it makes its way over here and, you know, gradually spreads out through our society. What magic is, is... It's been called the yoga of the West. It's also, you know, the Western path to enlightenment. Most people are familiar with things like in the East, you know, the chakra system. Mm -hmm. 
magic is the same thing, only we use slightly different energy centers. They're located in slightly different parts of the body. And people say, well, which one is right then? Well, they're both right because we don't just have seven or five energy centers. We have like 360 different energy centers through the body. The reason you focus on different ones is because of, you know, you're trying to accomplish different things. Most people in the West now who are familiar with magic, it's either because they've come in contact with something like The Secret or, you know, some of that other Oprah Winfrey stuff that's all focused in one way or another on manifestation. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, manifesting the career you wanted or the house you wanted or things like that. Most people still don't know that it is a spiritual tradition that's just as rich and beautiful and fulfilling as any of the things we find in the East. Only for us, it might even be a little easier because it uses iconography, symbolism, things like that, that we grew up with. Right. You know, just one example, um, you know, like even if you are a complete atheist, don't want anything to do with Christianity at all, especially in the part of the country where we come from, there were times where you could come to a four-way stop and there will be a church on all four corners. So even if you don't want anything to do with this stuff, it's still part of your psyche. You know, you still grew up knowing what this stuff means. Absolutely. And uh, isn't a lot of this the basis of uh, organized religion? Before it got bastardized. That what organized? Like exactly. I, I really got into um, spirituality and uh, meditation and yoga and even, this will get a laugh from Vic, even saw a shaman a couple times. Um, but this <laughs> stuff talks to me way more than the Catholic Church. And what you learn when you do practice and you meditate and this and that, you're like, wait a minute, there's a lot of, uh, the, a lot of this stuff is in the Catholic religion. Exactly. And it almost seems like relig- religion uh, came from this stuff. That's what happened. And then sort of, dare I say, got bastardized and got completely out of control. But if you break down a lot of religions, it, it really goes back to chanting and yes. meditating and yes. visualizing. And Well, when you're chanting, you know, you're using vibration that's all sound is it's vibrational frequency yeah and that that's you know there's so much of this i use the bible for examples all the time just because i think if you actually read it the way it was meant to be read i think is one of the greatest books on magic ever written you know when we're chanting we're using vibration that's the whole thing going back to genesis about in the beginning was the word and the word was god when you are talking you know we weren't meant to just just blurt out, vomit out our every thought and emotion and, uh, you know, views on whatever the hell Kanye West is doing at the present moment. None of this. Our voice is a way to change reality. It's how we convey information to each other. It's how, you know, everything you say, they say that, you know, you will eventually believe what you continually hear. And we don't hear anyone or anything more than we hear our own selves. Yeah. So we can change our lives just by what we tell ourselves on a regular basis. Man, we are using Twitter wrong. I'm loving yes. it. Yes, we are. You know what? <laughs> yes, we are. Yes. Oh, my God. That's another thing. Keep in mind, at the time that Jesus was alive, they say that he probably spoke to maybe... 30,000 people in his in, in his lifetime. Yeah, tops. Total. On Twitter, I can reach over 70,000 in a split second. Like that. Yes. Man, so get, we are misusing it. I would imagine the the hate you get on the social media. I usually you would be surprised. Are it's they not still nearly, hammering you for this not stuff? Not as much. You oh, have a small you. group of loyal crazies who it's that's like they're right. obsessed, that's <laughs> obsessed a good way to put with it. me. Yeah. And it's like everything I do they're going <laughs> to gossip about or whatever, but for the most part people have tended to be surprisingly um kind. supportive. Yeah, yeah kind. Yeah. Good. yeah. 
So you saw the uh, you saw an angel in the in the. Cell. Oh yes, I'm sorry, I no, went no, off no. on a tangent. Well, that's what led to you. I think that's what led to you going. You know what? I'm going to start doing more of this. Magic exactly. In, uh, in exactly. Prison. Well, it's what you know. What you're doing in the beginning when you're doing these practices, I think it's the same way with any kind of meditation. You always start to wonder, am I just playing mind games with myself? Is just this? Is this just mental masturbation, or am I actually doing something here? And even when you know, that's how I felt in the beginning going through this stuff. And what happens is, like I said, you're flushing your energy system out you're firing up centers that you've never used in your entire life and when i say saw i don't mean with my physical eyes what you're doing is using the energetic counterpart to your physical senses you know everything that exists on the material level of reality also exists on the energetic level of reality so once that was actually functioning this i'm aware of how crazy this sounds believe me that and this is why i haven't talked about it until recently but thank I, you for saying that i know how crazy because no, some is. people uh, you know and, and it's good to keep some reality going yes. wow what i saw was pretty nuts yeah well i saw i finally uh, instead of saw i'm going to say perceived i perceived finally after doing this for an extended period of time an energetic intelligence and I, it's not like anything that we think of when we think of angels. You know, we're, we're sort of raised to see this picture of blonde-haired, blue-eyed people with wings on their backs. <laughs> the closest thing I can articulate to what this was was two overlapping triangles, two overlapping black triangles. There's no facial features. There's no appendages, anything like that. But at the same time, I knew to the core of my being that this thing was as sentient and aware of me as I was of it. And if I would not have been locked in that prison cell, just the alienness of it, the strangeness of it, I would have ran. Yeah, I, I couldn't because I was locked up. But once again, going back to the Bible, I realized that's why if you look through the Bible, every single time an angel appears to someone, the very first thing it says is be not afraid. Yes. That's telling you that it was scaring the shit out of yeah. whoever was seeing it, just like it did yeah, me. you're going to see some fucked up shit. Oh, yeah. I came across... But we're trying to tell you something. Yes. And I came across some writing by someone later. I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about how if we could actually perceive these intelligences, they wouldn't look humanoid. We would register... Our psyches would register them more as geometric patterns. And I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I perceived. I perceived triangles, geometric patterns. Yeah, there's that's cool. There's some other planes that we don't even understand. I think right? there's a speaking tour. Yeah. Oh, he. he <laughs> I think you're right. I want to open from your mouth to God's. <laughs> I'll open. I'll there you open. Go. Bring I'll, out the tabloids. Nice, <laughs> right. I'll bring out my old tabloid yes. jokes, and then we'll go to the real helping. There you go. Bring on the monkey boy, and then we'll go to the real helping. <laughs> Damien Eccles teaches uh, classes on this. Yes, I'm sure he's got yep. a little following. I hope so. A little yeah. following too, I there, Damien so. Eccles. Well, what cool. I want to get get through to people. Two of the main reasons that I wrote this book, I wanted people to understand that, one, there's nothing dark or malignant or negative or anything else about these practices. You know, like I said, it's as beautiful and rich as anything you're going to find in the East. And the other thing is that, you know, I'll hear a lot of times people will say something like, I don't believe in magic. Well, what they actually mean is I've never done magic. This stuff works just like meditation. You don't have to believe in it. It works whether you believe in it or not. And if it helped me through some of the darkest densest, most horrifying, you know, life-destroying situations on the face of the earth, then it'll help you yeah. deal with whatever you're dealing and, with, and too. When I meditate, I, I, it just centers me, relaxes exactly. me. I, I'm not, like, going all, all in yet or anything like that, but after I do it, I feel pretty damn good. Exactly. I've uh, In meditation class, I, I, I'm not the greatest meditator. I work on it all the time, and I had one meditation class where 
I was experiencing something and I couldn't wait to get out of it to tell my wife. And then when I was face to face with her, I'm like, I can't even explain it in yes. human. You, you've had this? Oh, yeah. yeah one of the Like I was seeing stuff and I'm like, oh, all right. Now I just got to explain it with the English language. And I realized that. I could not explain what I just experienced in this meditation class. And you feel kind of it was of an energy. It was to. a. Uh, it was, I don't. It was visions, but it was nothing that I could explain in human terms. And exactly. It's that's only happened a couple times, and you know, and I want to see more of that. I was going to say, but you know, it's good, and you're liking it. Yes. Okay. Yes, but All I right. think I think we get trapped as humans because we only have our language to explain things. Sure. Mm -hmm. And if you really start really going deep into this stuff, you realize that the the human language cannot cover it. Does that exactly. make sense, yeah. Damien, a little it's, bit? It does, and it's almost also like we have a firewall in our psyche. You know, like if people in China, if they don't want them to see something on the Internet, they put a firewall where for all intents and purposes, that thing no longer exists on the Internet for them. Yeah. We have that same thing in our psyches for dealing with out here what we think of. We think this is real. We right. think this is solid. You know, this, this couch, these walls, these microphones, we think these are solid things. Science is now catching up to the fact that they're not. You know, we know that... Less than 1% of everything we perceive is actually solid matter. It's mostly protons, neutrons, electrons, waves, particles, and a shit ton of empty space. Over 99% of everything we experience is empty space. You know, this is, for all intents and purposes, a hologram that we're living in. Right. But we don't perceive it that way. Yeah. So most people, whenever they're trying to change their lives, are doing the equivalent of going to a movie theater, and they don't like the movie that's playing, so they start screaming at the screen, you know, I don't like this, bring that character back, take this character out, and it's not going to fucking happen. You're not going to change the screen. Yeah. The way you change the movie is by going back into the projection booth and putting something else yeah. on the reel. Yeah, and don't forget, we're also in water all the time, which which amazes me. Yep. <laughs> We're in water all the time. Uh, what was? Oh shit! That oh, I do want to say too. Most of my meditations are not like I just described. It's a fucking dog is barking. I hear a bus. Yes. I hear a, a, a sure. car honking its damn horn, and I'm like, ah, and I'm frustrated <laughs> and yep. mad. But every once in a while, I get to experience some, quiet spot. some yeah, just uh, yeah, peace, silence. I love it. Yeah, so I don't know anyone. It's it's one of those things where anyone that starts things like this, they immediately get results. They're immediately happy. They tell all their friends, no. and then no, they, and then and a... then they don't get on. Then they don't stick with it, or something yes. happens. They they immediately like it. They feel it. They yep. discuss it. It's real. And then you see them a few months later. And you're like, Are you doing your thing? No, I'm not. Doc's guy. I was just a thing. Yeah, oh, come on, man. You told yeah. me it was working. Yes, no, you yep. got you got to stick with it, and it's not easy. It's a lot of hard. I'm work. lazy. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. I'm, I'm um, horrible. It, what it, it does take a lot of discipline to keep doing it. And that was part of why I had such a hard time when I first got out. You know, like I said, I was psychologically destroyed. You know, keep right. in mind, when I was locked up, I was reading from three to five books a week. We had to rent a storage facility to hold all the books. <laughs> Whenever I got out, I would read the same page over and over and over and could not retain what I had read when I got to the bottom of the page because I was so destroyed. The day I walk out of prison, I'm doing these techniques for up to eight hours a day. The day I walk out, I can't even do it eight minutes anymore Man. because something in me was broken. Oh, wow. I had to gradually build my way up, you know, a little bit Start at a time. All over exactly, again. all wow. over again. But yes. do you think also there was all those uh, outside noises and, and distractions too? 
I now, do. You obviously didn't have in prison. You're, yeah, just the physical. I do. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in prison you're in a very good spot to begin with, as far as this type doing of thing this. goes. Yeah. But, no, but right? it no, kind of is. I, the yeah, no, I, no yeah. I have an evil yeah. sense of humor. I mean, yeah. that's why people go to monasteries and, and you know take vows of silence Absolutely. because Dude. they're basically putting themselves yeah. in a prison environment yeah. to be able to do this. Fo Dude. Focus on this. I I went to Geneseo, a little uh, drinking college, which is now like a pretty prestigious uh, SUNY school. No, not really. Uh, it, it's come a long I'm way. Yeah. Now, well, it's funny because when I say I went to Geneseo, people go, oh, why? Oh, look at you, fancy. <laughs> but when I went there, it was a, just no. a ridiculous, over-the-top drinking school. And they had a monastery outside the campus about, uh, I don't know, about 15-minute ride down the road. I would go there often. And would be at peace. Just to sit quietly? Yeah, but I would see I would see the monks. They would come in. You were able to go where they would pray all day. Okay. You had your own public area. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had one monk that talked to the public. Everyone else had the vow of silence. But they had the one guy that could communicate with the outside world because they had to get things done. Right. I found it fascinating sure. that people would give up their life to live in silence like that. I still now, you know, it, it really does help me. Even, you know, people would think that I have an axe to grind against, you know, the Catholic Church or against Christianity in general, things of like that. I still, to this day, go to churches. A lot. I don't go to parties. I don't go to concerts, any of that. I go to churches to be by myself and sit in these environments yeah. that inspire me in some sort of way. I, I, the thing that I always compare it to what has allowed me to survive and thrive out here is somebody asked Michelangelo one time, they're, they're like, how do you create these sculptures? And he said, all I do is carve away any part of the marble that's not part of the sculpture. Right. That's how I started getting back to normal out here is okay. I started to look at my life and carve away anything that wasn't feeding me, nurturing me, inspiring me, sustaining me, that wasn't part of my spiritual practice. People, I think, are kind of vampiric by nature. People will eat up your time. They'll eat up your energy with, for the most part, you know, useless bullshit, chit chat, yeah. things of that nature. We are hemorrhaging energy all the time that we could be using to develop ourselves further in some way. Right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's that's what I do now. I I spend every moment that I possibly can trying to make myself and, a better person. And, and it wasn't lost on me that this magic kind of got you in trouble in the beginning. Exactly. That got you in this situation. Yes. Because if you weren't like that's healed him. And now it's healed more than healed. Oh, him. It's, it's becoming his life. But way back in 1993, it was sort of this magic stuff that yes. got everyone paying attention to him. And then a crime happens in the area, like let's go get Damian Eccles. He's well, got to be the fucking guy. And now that same thing that was a detriment is, is a, pretty much saving his life. The best positive thing ever. Right? Yeah. The first time that I would have came on here, you know, I wasn't talking about this stuff to anyone yeah. because I had been traumatized about even speaking about this. You know, this was something they used to try to murder me. Right. That really did not change until, um, you know, two, three, maybe four years after I was out, I was talking one time to uh, the yoga instructor, Sean Korn. You know, most people have seen her on like the cover of Yoga Journal, things like that. Um, she's, she comes and she's talking to me and she says, you have got to get over this fear. If you let them take away the things that make you feel alive, the things that you love, the things that are what make you you, then you may as well have never even got out of prison. You're still living in prison. You're still dead if you give up what you love. Amazing, and that yeah. sort of made me realize, you know what? If, if people are going to crucify me for this and there's nothing I can do about that, I either have to be alive and have to be true to myself and talk about what saved my life, what inspires me, or why the fuck did I even get yeah. out of it? 
we got to mop up a little bit of the West Memphis three. I, we w- just went off on a tangent, but <laughs> we were talking about buyers and then how w- you did the same thing they did to you, and yes. I did the same thing watching the documentary. Yes, it's like guilty. Yeah, me yep. too. And then it turns out he's not at all. Absolutely not guilty, and he turns it uh, changes his tune on you. He, he obviously is the stepfather of one of the victims, and uh, you wrote a letter to him, and, and you guys are good. But then there's the other stepfather, Hobbs. Yes. Do you think he did it? You know what? I Where go back and forth. That? I'm not 100% Did they find uh, his His hair? was the DNA. Yeah, they found inside one of the ligatures used to uh, bind the children. Uh, not like it's laying on the yeah, body, right. not like it's near the body. Sure. It's actually inside, inside one of the knots. The knots. So it would have had to have gotten there while the knot was being tied. So, you know, I go back and forth just because, once again, I don't want to do the same thing that was done to me and the same thing that I already did to buyers. But... If you're looking at this from, you know, a logical, reasonable perspective, I think, you know, at the time of these murders, they never even interviewed this guy, was never even investigated, never even looked at. And let me tell you why that's important, because uh, mo- most uh, times when a kid is murdered, it's, it's almost a family always member. the parents. Yep. Yes. Yes. Almost always. And they don't even interview the stepfather right. who had problems sure. in that town that, before this. Well, like once again, what is protocol forever? Not this time. <laughs> yep. When for did he, some jackass reason? When did he shoot his uh, wife's brother? Yeah, that was after we got convicted. He shot his wife's brother in the stomach. Didn't uh, kill him. Didn't. I can't remember if he died or not. Do because you know? she was making out with a Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, if you want... I mean, to the people out there that maybe watched one or two of the documentaries on HBO, the West Memphis Three, this... You could you could go a month studying this stuff and how unbelievable all this stuff is. But she's making out with a Mexican, and he loses his mind. I think this was before... Uh, What's it? Before, I can't even remember. I'm not really sure either at this point. And then gets in a fight with the brother-in-law and then decides to shoot him. Well, you know. And the guy survives. you got to see in one of the documentaries the scars and uh, he fucked him up. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how you settle things down there when you make <laughs> out with a Mexican. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then they broke up and then they're sort of saying it was because of the murder. But <sighs> it seems like this guy has some issues. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, but they're not going to open the case again because of the Alfred plea and everything. It's over. As far as the courts go down there in Arkansas, this thing is over. So whoever it is is sitting there. Knowing this, I think eventually something will happen. I I think what it all comes down to is we will, like I was saying a while ago, these are politicians, you know, the prosecutor, the judge. I think eventually, whenever they get either voted out of office or retire or die off or whatever the hell it is, and new people come into power who don't have a vested interest in keeping this covered up, I think it's going to take that before we finally get some traction. Oh my God. No, you guys did the right thing signing that Alfred plea, unfortunately. You can't trust the system, especially yeah. with what you went through. Uh, where are you at with Jason Baldwin these days? We talk probably, I don't know, once every, you know, keep in mind that people think we were like best friends the whole time we were in prison or anything. We didn't even see each other for almost 20 years. Yeah. So, you know, to this day, it's like, you know, how many people do you know that you keep in contact with when you were 16 years yeah, old? Yeah, not many. So, you know, we still talk every now and then by text. I hate phone. You know, I hate the phone. So I'll text. So we'll text each other, you know, maybe once every couple months, something like that. Just checking in. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, how's he doing? What what does he do? He lives. He just moved to Austin, Texas, I think about a year ago. Moved there. And he's doing he started up an organization with a few other people called Proclaim Justice, where they try to help 
other innocent people that okay. are in prison, get All their right. names cleared. Sure. He sort of went the opposite route that I did. You know, for me, I think the last thing on earth I want to see right now is another legal brief. Sure. Another, you know, the inside of another <laughs> courtroom. Court right? Anything yeah. related but to that. That's right. what he does okay. all the time. All right. yeah. but is he friends with any veteran and all that too? Is yeah, he, the reason he just moved to Austin, he has lived in Seattle almost the entire time that I was out just because, you know, when I got out, we had nothing. You know, keep in mind, I didn't have a penny in my pocket. I didn't have so much as a suit of clothes to change into. Eddie immediately takes us to his place in Seattle. Um, you know, his wife takes me out and buys me new clothes. They give Jason, get Jason a job, get him a place to stay. He loved Seattle so much that he stayed out there near Eddie all the way up until like a year or so ago wow. whenever he moved to Austin. Uh, how cool is that? That's great. Huh? Eddie's taking you around Seattle for some new uh, clothes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> what, was the, what was the one thing when you got out you're like, what the fuck is that? Was it the cell phone or is it something yeah, else? Yeah, I, I, that's probably what it was. You know, it was anything to do with technology. Keep in mind that when I got out in 2011, the last time I had seen a computer was 1986. <laughs> and it was oh, basically, God. yeah, it was a glorified typewriter for rich yeah, people. Yeah, right. You know, it wasn't connected to the internet. It didn't really do anything. You could, you know, type something in it and it would take like half an hour to print it out on a piece of paper and it would screech the whole time (laughs) you know that that was all i knew you know i had never seen a cell phone the internet any of that sort of stuff and i would go the things that most people think would send you into you know like a state of panic wouldn't have any effect on me at all like say for example you know when i first got out we get on the subway one day this guy freaks out and starts you know screaming i'm gonna kill you you know if you get near me i'm gonna fuck you up all this kind of stuff we get off the train you know my wife a friend of ours that's with us they're like you know are you okay you know are you freaked out like no, that's pretty much what I saw every day for 20 years. <laughs> but then I, Tuesday. Exactly. I would go to the store and see that little thing that you slide your debit card through to pay for something, and that would freak me out because I had never seen – when I went in, if you paid for something with a card, they would put it on this – thing with yeah chunk chunk you know that charge plate yeah. i don't know like what all these buttons are for if it's asking me for secret codes or, you know that's like some james bond stuff to me that was the kind of stuff i can remember going to put a check in the bank standing in line for like 15 minutes and getting up there to the window finally getting up there to the window and freaking out and leaving without even putting the check in the bank because i, I wasn't used to stuff like oh, that man that's wow. crazy it's those little things like yeah that. exactly yeah and uh what about uh, you have a son I do. He's uh, 22 now. I have a grandson. You have a grandson? I'm a grandfather. Really? Yeah. Well, I come from Arkansas. Arkansas. When I was born, my mother was 16 and my father was 17. Wow. So, you know, it's just kind of continuing. That's my my older brother. My older brother. That's the same thing. She got pregnant at 16, had my brother when she was So my sister contacted me at one point. She was like, you need to come home and see mom. She's dying. I said, dying of what? She says, old age. I was like, she's 16 years older than me. (laughs) 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 Your life expectancy went way up getting out of yeah. <laughs> in many ways that one. But no, uh, during the first documentary, you had a, a teenage girlfriend. She gets pregnant. Yep. Uh, didn't you guys have a suicide pact, or is that another one? No, of that was more. Rumors? That was okay. that was somebody else previously to this, and, okay. and that was something else that the crazy guy came up with. The one yeah. that you know, possums are satanic and yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I, yeah, I, I'm only scratching the surface of the weird yeah. shit from West oh, Memphis Three. Yeah. But I mean. had this girlfriend, seventeen. I think she was seventeen. You're eighteen. She gets pregnant. 
Uh, He's born while I'm in jail while, waiting to go to trial. And and oh, wow. in the first documentary, there's a really weird scene where you're, you're holding your kid for the first time in yep. front of all the reporters and in the courtroom in between whatever the hell was going on that day. And even after that, you know, I only saw him while I was in prison. I think I saw him maybe five times. Like he, he would come to the prison around Christmas time because she took him and got the hell out of there. You know, they moved all the way from Arkansas, went over to Arizona, you know, just to get him away from that. I got it. That makes sense. Semi-normal yeah. sure. life, something like that. So he grew up, you know, she goes on, gets in a relationship. He grew up for the most part with some other man as his father. Sure. So, you know, he didn't even really know. That was one of the things I missed. I never even got to know so my own child. So you don't really have a relationship with him no, on, you on know, that level? No, you know, we try to talk or whatever, but it's like talking to, you know, for me, it's like talking to a a 20 something year old i'm like hey you know what's what's going on what are you up to it's not like talking yeah. to your kid and does he care that his father's really famous and went through some shit or is it like how who, does that work out who knows you know it's like a 20 something year old where they're communicating yeah, yeah, with yeah. emojis and whatnot right, so gonna, it's, yeah, you're not yeah. getting it right sure wow yeah. and you and, and you decided not to have kids with your your wife or you guys well i think we're number one that's know, probably no, a real personal just, question so i want to apologize well keep in mind I mean, she, I, i'm 40 what am i i'll be 44 yeah 44 she's 54 so you know and i don't want to have a kid that's younger than my grandkid right first right. off you know that's some real so, he'll be have you seen the there. grandkid one time. One time. One How, time. Is it a baby? Is it? It was a boy. Yeah, okay, I, huh. I think he's uh, about four or five now. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's if he's twenty two. There you go. He did the same. There, exactly. <laughs> exact same thing. I'm not. Yep. Making fun. This yep. is my life. Yes. Believe <laughs> me. Oh, oh, believe me. <laughs> I know how redneck house. it sounds. My yeah. mom. It, her sister got. My mom was. Uh, 16 and then had my brother at 17 her sister did at 14 and 15 yep. and then that one had so the, the other one was like a, you're a grandmother at 29 yes or something completely That's insane, insane. Yeah. makes no sense at all yeah, yeah so. so the answer is you guys are obviously more than good with your oh, wives yeah. oh yeah you and your wife yeah any regrets through this whole thing hmm you know what? I think if I did have a regret, it would just be, you know, once again, going back to the magic. I didn't really decide, okay, I've got nothing else to lose. I'm going to devote every single minute of my day to this until several years that I was in, several years after I was in. If I had a regret, it would be that I didn't start sooner doing this stuff every single minute of every single day. I think it would have been more beneficial to keeping me you know, sane in there to helping me get through a lot of the stuff I did. And I think it would have helped me even more once I got out. You right. know, maybe getting out wouldn't have damaged me as much if I had been doing this the entire, you know, every single day for the entire 20 years I was in. Unbelievable. Just an amazing story. Yeah. Oh, hey, Mike. Hey. <laughs> what do you right. think? How's did we your cover it all? How are your allergies today, My Mike? allergies are okay. I see a lot of evidence against Damien. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> 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 really? My buddy Damien, man. I haven't seen him in a while. It's been a while. Mike actually kind of, you know, this is one of those, I, I told his mom this at one point. Mike actually was a huge part of what restored some of my belief in the system. You know, at one point I thought, you know, the entire fucking system is corrupt. Everybody who's involved in it is corrupt. And whenever I got to know Mike, I realized, hey, not every fucking member of the police force is trying to murder me. Right. Well, tell him the story how I rolled, how we met. He scared the living hell out of me the first time we met. I'm walking down the street in Brooklyn. A cop car pulls up and I hear somebody go, Mr. Eccles, 
can I approach you? And I thought, oh my God, but, you know, my heart immediately is about to beat out of my chest. I'm thinking, what the hell did I do? What's going on? Oh my God. He gets out of the car, comes up and he hugs me. And I was like, you know, like, what the hell's going on? And he He's tells in me. uniform, Rama. Right, yes, yes, okay, right. yes. He tells me, you know, like, I know all about your case. I'm glad you're out. I'm, you know, glad you didn't get murdered. My mom told me about your case. She's a huge, you know, followed it for years. Would you, she's not going to believe it if I put you on the phone with her right now. Would wow. you say hello to my mom? He calls his mom like two minutes after we've met. And I end up talking to his mom. You know, from then on, we're like going to. Uh, diners in Queens or what have you. <laughs> no, Dick, here's the good point. So we meet, and then uh, he puts it on Instagram that we meet. Yes. And all of a sudden, my bosses are like, hey, you know, you, you hung out with this murderer and stuff. I'm like, I didn't, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, my no, God. No, oh, but I got to explain to you. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The police department, we're not allowed to um, socialize with known felons or convicted, like, criminals. So I'm like, listen, it wasn't a social thing. I'm like, I know who he is. I supported him. I wanted to meet him. So afterwards, I throw him a DM. I'm like, hey, do me a favor, bro. Can you take down the picture? I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Leave the picture up. Can you do me a favor? I'm going to send you a book. Can you just sign it for my mom? He doesn't write back. Three months go by. I'm like, all right, bro. He never wrote back. What are you going to do? He blew me off. I met him one time. It was a nice thing. He put the picture on like Instagram, like, oh, met New York's finest, whatever. Three months later, I'm like, this Damien dude's kind of a dick. Like, I asked for one fucking picture. I, I'm walking to the L train. You're turning into that guy. No, Vic. You're, wait, you're turning into that guy. <laughs> So I'm walking on the L train. I get out of work. I fucking see him. I'm, I'm in plain clothes. He looks at me. We're looking at each other. I'm like, guy, why didn't you sign my mom's book? He's like, I never checked my fucking phone. Never. And, and then from there, we actually developed. Yep. Yeah, it was friendship. <laughs> yep. That's great. That's awesome. I bet, well, yes, I, I can't imagine what was going through your hand when it, head when well, he walked up in the, the, in the uniform. May I approach you, Mr. Heckles? <laughs> from, did he use the speaker? Did no, no, no. Mr. Heckles. No, no. I whipped the car around. <laughs> that would have been even creepier. <laughs> he used the speaker from the but car. But Vic, you know what happened? Oh, my I'm, God. You know what I said? <laughs> Mr. Heckles. <laughs> I'm not on the voice. But yes, you know what I'm talking about. No, but Vic, about. you know what's weird? Sometimes I actually forget. I don't wear a uniform anymore, but when I did, I forget sometimes. Like, NYPD, I love it. It's not my life. Like some of these guys. So I saw him. I'm like, oh shit, it's Eccles. I'm like, dude, my partner. I'm like, dude, where you turn? He's like, why? I'm like, dude, that's pull over. I want to get talk to that dude. <laughs> and I get out. And looking back now, I get out of the car. I'm in full uniform, the jacket. It was it was cold out. Oh, the jacket. I'm like, Mr. Eccles. And I'll, I, I'll never forget. I'm like, fuck. I I could have. Whoop, Damien. Hey, bottom of that. <laughs> Mr. Eccles, can I come over and talk to you? <laughs> Mother, my guy approached you. No, but he had his he had like a bag of groceries with him. Yep. Like, Why are you here? Yep. <laughs> it scared me to death. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I can imagine. <laughs> I think we did it, man. This was amazing. Yeah, um, dude. I'm, yeah, thanks for including me on it. He, yeah, of course. Thanks for having a, me on it. He again. sent me a text. I was on the road, and he sent me a text Saturday night, and he goes, are you familiar with this? I'm like, sadly, yeah, fuck yeah. You know? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm, are you in? I'm like, hell yes, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And especially the magic stuff. That was really interesting, so I'm you. glad, you and, know. And you start with the HBO documentaries from back in the day, but there's so, They're much, worth it. There's so much more stuff, like uh, West of Memphis yep. and uh, the book you wrote. We didn't even really get into the book he wrote about it. and We got up to We can bring him back. Well, no, I promise. I said I will bring you back, and we're not going to touch on this shit. Very good. Because I think uh, I would have fun just talking to you about anything, anything else. You know, like I said, this is home to me now. New York, the minute, you know, I never even really thought about New York when I was locked up. You know, for all I knew, it was like what you see in a Woody Allen movie, and I thought, who the hell would want that? Yeah. But then whenever I get here, I'm like, oh, my God. Within the first day I was here, I knew this is home. 
you know, I even I even told my wife, I said, if anything ever happens to me while I'm here, make sure that I'm buried here because wow. this is this is home fell in love with me. New York City. Yes, so I'm always here. The I always think the only reason to leave New York is to remind myself why I never leave. New York. I, I I I discovered this when I was seven. Yep. I came here on a hillbilly vacation, and my mom, I didn't remember saying it. My mom told me when I was about 28. Um, she goes, we came here. I had an aunt that was in the military, and she was stationed at Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. Yeah. And I came, and we stood in the 1969 stinky, dirty-ass Vietnam War protest in Times Square. And my mom said I was holding her hand. All I kept saying is, I'm going to live here forever. Yes. And I forgot I ever said that. And then when I started doing stand-up and got into comedy and moved here, she yes. said, and I said, well, wow, I, I guess I knew something. Yes. I don't know. But, I, yeah, I would never leave it's ever. It's amazing. Ever. Oh, uh, final question. What happens to you when you die? Oh, that is, you saved that. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> well, He's going to throw you, made him no, straighten up now. Okay. He, was all, he was all mellow. You I made him sit up straight. I didn't plan it on being the last question. Mm -hmm. I was thinking we'd get to it eventually. But just because of your life experience of death row, uh, thinking I could be uh, put to death at any any moment here, and then you get out, and you're obviously very spiritual and really believe in the soul and stuff. There's there's a lot there. Think of it as like a recycling process. You know, most when you hear about people who say, you know, I, I went through this hypnotherapy session or I did this meditation technique and I saw that, you know, in my past life I was Cleopatra or I was Mark Anthony or Julius Caesar or whatever. But you'll have a hundred people saying these things. What they're doing is not actually seeing any sort of past life regression. What they're doing is tapping into the part of the psyche that, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists like Jung called the collective unconscious. That's why what they are doing for all intents and purposes is like someone who's watching TV and getting themselves confused for the TV characters. What they say in ceremonial magic, keep in mind the the motto of, of ceremonial magic was the aim of religion but the method of science they wanted to be able to understand all this sort of stuff and break it down into terminology that sounded more scientific they say we go through two deaths the first is the death of the physical body what they call the second death is whenever your etheric or astral body starts to disintegrate which is what you think of as you it's like your personality once that disintegrates, and it can take different amounts of times for different people, depending on, you know, like how young and healthy you are when you die. If you've been really sick with something really devastating for a long time, that tends to, you know, make it happen quicker after the physical death, things of that nature. Um, after the second death, you're left with just pure energy, which then goes into kind of what I jokingly call the cosmic washing machine. It gets recycled into something else. Um, it's all a process that it, it, it tends to go in waves, in motions. If we don't deliberately ingest more chi, more energy while we're alive, more divine light, we'll start to go down after we die. This time you're a person. As you start to go on the downward slope, you'll you know enter the animalistic realm. You know from that point you're going to go back into the plant realm from that point down again into the mineral realm. Then you start the entire process again. You know, after you go through the cosmic washing machine, you come back up through the mineral, back up through the plant, back up through the animal until you reach human form again. And it's a, it's like a wave. You don't think there's something higher than human form? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, but okay. we only reach that. This is some deep shit. I like if, it. I if like we it a make lot. deliberate attempts 
to you know it's not something you know for most people that's why your average human is barely conscious enough to not run into inanimate objects and that's not an exaggeration you know we, we're in Times Square right now when you're walking down the street I probably got ran into three times today on my way here and not just by people staring at their phones but by people who are so you know caught up in whatever's going on in their heads whatever's going on in their emotional systems they're not even registering you're they're barely taking in anything going on around them so your average person is not doing a lot of work that's going to break the cycle they're going to continue the cycle for a very very long period of time um, but you do have people and it's not just one you know form of spirituality you have people in Christianity you have people in Buddhism you have people in Taoism you have people in Judaism who will undergo this process but they give different names to it the thing is most people are not that dedicated most people would rather you know stare at Twitter all day or or you know the TV or whatever it is um, you really really have to dedicate a lot of time it's just like going to the gym you know you don't go to the gym one time and walk out in great physical shape that's gonna last you forever you have to constantly renew it work it back exactly yeah all you're doing when you are I'm not talking about believing in something I'm talking about a real spiritual practice whether it's meditation whether it's energy work whatever it is you have to really push yourself you know just like when you go to the gym if you don't you know constantly push yourself a little more you're eventually gonna plateau if you don't you know put five pounds more weight on the on the press than you had last week if you don't run that mile in one second less than you ran last week uh, if you don't you know do something in a shorter time period you're eventually gonna plateau the same way with spirituality you have to keep pushing yourself because that's what we're doing in essence we are developing a part of our anatomy that most people neglect I, I think that's the difference between spirituality and organized religion I think yes. spirituality is something you live constantly yes and religion, you uh, you know, by Monday you're you pretty much are done with the whole church thing. Exactly. And, until next Sunday. Yes. But spirituality, it seems to be more of an ongoing thing. Or even when uh, you're in church, you're thinking, man, I hope this dude hurries up and shuts up. It's sure. almost time for the game. Oh, sure. Right. But, and then yeah. people think, oh, I did, you know, I clocked in and I did my 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 church thing and yep. I'm good. But you know, yeah, but that's and, not helping you any. No, exactly. well, no, you got, no, he's he's right. And I'm not trying to put down religion. No, I am. If you're <laughs> If, no, but I'll if, take a shot. But I'll say this: if you are into a religion, you know, then you should take it seriously and practice it all okay, the time. Yes, That's yes, what I'm agree. getting. No, yes. I'm with you. Okay, I'm but a lot of people no. go. I went to church. No, I'm good. It, right. I'm going no, to heaven. No, no, you know, no. I don't. Whatever. You got to get in there it, and roll lot, your sleeves up, and, like he said. It's a lot deeper than that. Yes. You know, obviously, you're talking about the soul uh, in there as well. Kind of the point of doing this stuff is. You know, we even now, spirituality, spiritual practices have become so watered down that we tend to think of enlightenment, what they call enlightenment in the East, as the be-all and end-all. Yeah. Uh, it's like the end of the road. Sure. And it's not. There are even things that come after that that we're meant to develop. The, the point of this is to reach a, a stage where you are no longer ego. You yeah. are divine consciousness. Yeah. When that happens, you know, like when we come into this world, to us, this is it. Yeah. You know, we don't remember anything previous to this. We don't know what's going to happen whenever we die. The point is to build 
to, to return to divine consciousness enough that we no longer go through this process. Yeah. When you break that chain, then you can also help other people do the same thing. What it comes down to, in a nutshell, the point of not just magic, but all spiritual practices is to approach the divine as closely as you possibly can to gather that energy, gather those rays, and then disseminate them out to the rest of mankind. Wow. That's good. That's pretty intense. I like that. Live in the light. Yes, and, that's and, right. In the light. Be a I'll, conduit. I'll say exactly. I'll say this. So we were talking about death and what happens to you when you die. I, uh, I, I guess it was a good thing, but I, I was there when my dad died in the hospital after his car accident. And the one thing I'll never forget: he's breathing, he's breathing, he's alive, he's alive. You feel his energy, even though he's in a coma. And uh, they called us. They're all there to, you know, say that it's happening now. So we watched him die. Right. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'll never forget was when they. When it was obviously he died officially, I wanted the fuck out of that room immediately. Not because of how creepy it was and all that. What creeped me out was I was looking at my dad who only a minute ago was alive. Now he's officially dead. I'm like, where did he go? Mm -hmm. Like there was something about I'm like, where did he go? Like because what I was now looking at, I recognized I guess as my dad's body. Yes. But I'm like. Holy fuck, where did he go? Where did he yeah. go? Where yeah. did he go? Yes, yeah. it was so creepy because what I was seeing now, my dad's body, I had no connection to whatsoever. Yes. Oh, I got and it. it freaked me the fuck out yeah. that I ran out of there. That's fine. Sometimes if you go to a funeral. And I, I, for, to this day, I want to know what that's about. If you go because to a funeral. Because you would think like, sorry. Go ahead. You know, yeah, he's dead and he's no longer with us in the, in the uh, physical world, but uh, that's still my dad. I didn't think that at all. I was like, oh, that is creepy. That's just okay. a shell. Yes, sure. Where, where did he go? I like it. And you I know that. I, I understand like he's dead. I understand about death. But where did he, that energy just go to? Right. And you could perceive that. You knew that. You know, it's like when you go to a funeral yeah, go and you'll have the coffin there and the body is in the coffin and they'll have a photo, you know, a big picture of the person right next to it. You look at the body and you will see there is no life there. Something mm. is obviously God, missing there. Right. Yes. But you look at the photo and you see it's there you yeah know, i get you know, i agree eyes. yes absolutely yeah. that makes no sense. that makes perfect sense. there's something i have felt that i have felt that before myself certainly yeah. absolutely i hope i explained that uh well because I, I, I was looking at a mannequin yeah. which which i know is my loving dad and i'm like wow yes. i don't want anything to do with this this is not him no, that's cool. at all this is really weird it wasn't right and you felt that it wasn't right, right. and i felt that that Go away okay. instantly when he died. Right. Like it just was like swooped out of the room. Like, yes. uh, like it went out the window or whatever. I don't know. I can't explain it. But it made me think. Like oh, this That's what all this is for. It should make everybody think. Yeah. Get the book. I'll tie this into the book oh, sure. plug. <laughs> so, I'll tie it into the book plug. If you, some uh, good thinking. This is good thinking. It's called High Magic by Damien Eccles. Forwarded by, uh, forward, excuse me, by Eddie Vedder. A guide to the spiritual practices that saved my life on death row. I think uh, even if you're really religious and don't believe in alternative stuff, I think you could learn a thing or two from the book. Yeah. How about that? Thank you. Because I don't. I'm not one of these guys that questions people's uh, religion. If it if it gets you through life, it gets you through your day. I, who am I to say? Yep. It there just doesn't talk to me as much anymore. I go more. Really, even Scientology. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I was trying to get some comedy in. Uh, Scientology. I, 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 I sure went with it. Sorry. <laughs> so, I had a friend. No, no, no. It wasn't a good joke. Right. I had a friend one time. <laughs> well, who what, what's the difference between the new religions and the no, old I, religions? No, I hear you. Because then they say there's old religions that we just decided to blow off. Sure. Yep. Because they're not they're not popular anymore. They're you. not in the uh, whatever. They're, they they didn't go viral. Scientology <laughs> is like the Sharknado of religion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. There's our out right yeah. there. Wrap it up. <laughs> Damien Eccles, this was a pleasure. Man. Thank you so much for having me again. Sharknado. This was, one, <laughs> that's good, that's good. this was one of my favorite podcast episodes, I would have to say. We've I'm going to steal a lot that. Cool I'll ones. quote you. I'm yeah, it's it. great. Uh, and you definitely will come back and we'll, uh, we could talk about spirituality a little more and just other shit. Very good. I, I, I didn't want to take you through this whole West Memphis no, thing thing cool. again, but I felt like it was worth it. We need more We need more smart hillbillies on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not one. I'm not one. I'm <laughs> half of one, maybe. <laughs> Anything else you need to promote? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. All right, cool. Uh, Damien Eccles, thank you so much. Vic Henley, thank you so much. Um, anytime, buddy. Yes. Especially if it's going to be this good, call me more. <laughs> yeah, you like this deep shit. I love that. Are you kidding me? It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Joey, take it away. Insightful words of wisdom. Thank you, Damien Eccles. I mean, he referenced Carl Young. Who needs a shaman, Greg? And that song, Army Reserve, that he wrote with Eddie Vedder, it's on the album known as Avocado. For more funny, VicHenley.com. And don't forget to check out Mike Sappho on Twitter. I'll leave a link. And you can see his pics at the Great Wall of China with his beautiful Asian girlfriend. I have no scatological humor here. If golden showers turn you on, soak it up. Like we do it on each other. No. A special follow back to Johnny at ThankYou316. Glad you liked the Gina episode, Johnny. Eric at SweetLou21. So you want to meet the gang? Well, I think we might be able to hook you up. I'm sure the boys will be on location in one of these New York City bars like Gephardt's. And I'll let you know in advance. At Tom underscore Taylor, 1421. Loving the Opie Radio podcast. Been a huge fan. Thanks, Tom. And at Blue City Garage. Keep playing that harp, brother. Hey, Ope, this is JD from the Bronx. You got to bring that Gina chick back, man. She is hysterical. (laughs) Getting some good Gina love today. Oh, I think she'll be back, JD. Thanks. Let's take one more for this episode. Hi, this is Jenny, Jenny B214 on Twitter. Hi, Opie. Hi, Joey. Um, I'm from the Northern Virginia, D.C. area, and I've been a fan way back since 2000 when you and Anthony were broadcast, sorry, broadcast down here in the late (laughs) afternoons. Mm-hmm. I listened to you on September 11th when we all tried to make sense of what happened. My daughters are about the ages that your children are now. I lost my aunt at the Pentagon that day and listened to you helped a little with getting me through that awful time. I listened every day until the incident at the church and you were no longer on the radio. Fast forward years later and I started listening again on Sirius XM. When Anthony got fired, my first concern was what about Opie? I admit I tried to listen to both separate shows, but quickly followed in your direction. I love the shows with Vic, Sherrod, Jim Florentine, and I miss Bob Kelly. And I was really upset about the bullshit you had to deal with at Sirius and how you were treated. Really miss listening to you when you were off for that year or so, and I was so happy when you started the podcast, and I have not missed one yet. I had tweeted to you saying how great your show was, and when you replied saying I had made your day, I was so excited I told everyone about it. You and Carl have such great chemistry, and I find myself looking forward to Mondays and Thursdays to see what's coming next. My favorites are when you and Carl just tell your stories. 
Mm. Most times I'm sitting in traffic to or from work and I'm laughing hysterically and I see people staring at me. I really enjoy Joey's little cut-ins and commentary so much. Not sure why others don't. Thank you. Mike and Robert also add more fun to the show when they pop in. I hope you and your family have a wonderful time at Disney. You definitely need at least one day just to hang out at the pool and chill. Here's to many more years of good listening. Take good care. Ah, wow. I'm sure Greg appreciates that one big time. That was really thought out. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny called the Opie Radio Rant Line, 888-505-6743. You can do the same, and you can get something off your chest or show us appreciation. We never turn that down. Nobody's following that call today. We're going to have to end it here. Don't forget to take our survey so we can match you up with the perfect sponsors and maybe even improve our podcast, www.podsurvey.com. See the link in the description of this episode. We got to get the Ruiz and Hatch at opiradio.com going, but for now, buy something anyway. Share this episode with someone you love or someone you love to hate. And let's keep this community booming at Opie Radio. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.